This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun, dun, dun. Hello, and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk SVU. We're going to talk crime. And then we're going to have an incredible guest that I think you guys will flip out over. Um, and now we have some announcements, some chats, some updates, some <laughs> gossip. Um, we can't wait. Uh, you know, we're on tour. Do you know this? I ran into someone on in my neighborhood. They had no idea we were performing in Los Angeles. Hello, That's girl. crazy. You guys, if you're not following us on Instagram, it is really where we put a lot of, of fun content about the pod. And uh, we try to add extra little fun bits and bobs there for you, too. But we're that messed up pod. Yeah. And if you're on Twitter, I'm sorry. We don't care. Yeah, we're, we don't put as much on Twitter. No, we don't put we as try. much on Twitter, but there's not as many of you following us on Twitter either. So like, but follow us on Instagram. We do try to, Lisa plays really fun games in the stories, little polls. We're always trying to make it fun on there, but it's also where we're talking a lot about our tour. Thank you so much to those of you that have already bought tickets. We have sold out a couple of our shows in Seattle, but uh, we are you know, possibly have something else in the works there. So stay tuned. We also, you got, you guys asked, we have answered. We have added a San Francisco show. It's going to be Thursday, June 9th at Cobb's Comedy Club. Come see us. You guys harassed us on Instagram and we submitted and we got you a show there. So we're really excited. You can go to thatsmessuplive.com for all of our tour dates and ticket links. And um, yeah, we obviously want to come all over the country and these shows show yeah, that Yeah, you want to like- come all over the country? Is that <laughs> it? You sick fuck. Come get this. Con- you're never going to get that. You have to experience this magic in person. So come to our shows. <laughs> and these tour dates doing well is important to getting us to your city. So if you have friends that live in these other cities like Tempe, San Diego, Irvine, you know, Denver, please tell your friends and please come see us because we're dying to meet all you guys and talk murder. And speaking of meeting people, I did meet someone at the Kennedy Center. Um, I was there uh, performing for a nice, you know, little festival moment. I don't know what it was, but it was for Women's <laughs> Month. And I met someone that was working at the Kennedy Center, and they let me know that the Margaret Cho story of Richard Belzer's dogs being run all over without any leashes at the Kennedy Center is true. <laughs> and it is folklore there, and that the dogs are, like, running into the elevators alone and, like, <laughs> doing whatever they wanted. And so we got confirmation gossip on Belzer's dogs at the Kennedy Center. So I love that. Had to share. 
I love that. We also posted on our Instagram, another reason for our Instagram follow. Um, we also posted recently an eagle-eyed listener sent us a video of Munch answering the phone with a delicate tattoo of the word love scripted on his wrist. That's what it said, right? Love? It said love. But I didn't think it was that delicate. It was pretty thick. Pretty no, thick. thick, but like in script. I guess yeah. that delicateness I meant is like script, like in, in like a very feminine, like cursive. Like yeah. it, a listener pointed out that the tattoo looks like Louise's keychain from Sex and the City too. You know how she has that like love keychain? It's just, I, I I thought it was a shock for Munch and people were sending us a lot of skeleton emojis. They were very, everyone was overwhelmed um, that Munch has a, t- I mean, he also seems like such a like observant Jew. Do you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Like to be, have a tattoo. Yeah. It's interesting. Oh, by the way, um, do you remember when me, you, and another friend went to a pool at a Kimpton hotel and got wasted in the daytime? You had like just had Rosie. Yes. And there was a DJ and she was incredible. Yes. So she's going to be at South by and in New York when I'm in both places. Oh, I messaged her and then, she, uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited. She was such a good DJ. I she mean, was maybe so because, great. Maybe we were just blacked out, but <laughs> I, I, I know I was on a, I was on a Tom Collins kick that I think I had like six Tom Collins. <laughs> And then I remember I paid the bill before I left because I left you guys there and you texted me and you were like, like the next day, you're like, did you pay the bill or did we just run out on the check? (laughs) But don't worry. Well, that was like a fun moment for us because we ordered or we reserved a cabana or whatever, but then also a side lounger and we weren't using it, but anyone that wanted to use it, we would not let them. (laughs) Because we had paid for it. So I just put like a beach cover up on it and was like, we're using Sorry, it. Sorry, we're using it. One of us might want to lie down in a minute. <laughs> yeah, we were <laughs> such assholes. Um, uh, but the opposite of assholes is sweet, beautiful people, which is most of you guys who have been amazing and sent us so many donations to the RASM organization that we shouted out on our Instagram to help people in the Ukraine. Um, we are like overwhelmed by how much you guys, we raised so much money to send over there and I'm sure more people donated. Um, we just only got receipts from people who spent 50 or more, but if you gave even $4 a dollar, like that's still a great donation and like any, I think any bit helps. So you guys are the greatest. No, we have such good listeners and you're, yeah, it is very good. And it's like, it's just fucked. Hmm. Because now thinking about like, let's say God will, you know, the whatever aftermath, like these people are, the airports are fucking demolished, schools, hospitals, like yeah. infrastructure to the extreme. It's like a really um, terrifying thing to see. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I mean, I've been reading stuff that makes me hopeful that like Putin's in a corner and he feel and he's like, he's failing and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but a narcissist in a corner, that's scary. Yeah, it's not good. That's what I was going to say. Like, you you wonder what he's going to do to double down. So I'm going to switch it up. So we're not set. Well, then I watched a video of a young girl in a bunker <laughs> with um, all the people in the building and they're packed like sardines. And then she's saying, let it go from frozen in Ukrainian. And I think, was it you that were like, why would you watch that? And yeah. Like, I don't know. I, I was like, there's no cry. way I can watch that. I can't. <laughs> it was really sweet, but yeah, it did, it was... Um, Wait, can I ask a stupid question? Is there is the Ukrainian language different than Russian? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. How, how different is it? Do you understand any of it when you hear Ukrainian? 
Um, with context clues, I can understand it, but I need, I usually need all the captions and stuff, but some of the spelling, like I can decipher, but yeah, it is a different language. Got it. Um, just to switch gears, um, my friend Eleanor Kiergan, so funny at the comedy store. Um, she opens for Dice and she's just an old school funny girl from Philly and I love her so much, but you know, I don't know if anyone knows this. I've been crying about it, but I lost my leather jacket. (laughs) And no, I think this is the first announcement it's made to the pod. Yes, Lisa (laughs) lost her leather jacket at LAX. I did receive a text right after it happened and was like, we're going to be dealing with the fallout from this for a while. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm standing with Eleanor, my friend Sydney, and then Emily, who works at um, the comedy store. And we're and I'm talking about this leather jacket. And Emily goes, well, what brand is it? And I said, River Island. And she goes, I mean, it's fine. You could get a better one. And... I I got laughed at so hard by Sydney and Eleanor because they saw how distraught I was. I was like in tears about this leather jacket. And this woman is like, um, yeah, I think it's okay. (laughs) I was like, fuck off. So then Eleanor is actually like, Andrew Dice Clay is cleaning out his home. And so she goes, well, I have some dice jackets in my car. Do you want to try them on? So then I went into her trunk and I started trying on Andrew Dice Clay's leather jackets last night. Did you get to keep was, one? <laughs> no, they were, you know, they were big and heavy. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Real, like, he's a big guy. Oh my um, God. But then she also had Muhammad Ali's boxing gloves in the car. So then I start. I took, a, I did a little photo shoot with the <laughs> boxing gloves just for my dad. And they were in a case, but it was just like a funny trunk wow. full of <laughs> silly things. That's... But I, I got to wear his leather jacket. So I thought that was funny. That but is... to get shaded, Sydney was like, no, she called me in tears about this jacket. And someone was just like, um, yeah, that's not a good brand at all. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't, okay. I can't say I know that brand, but I don't really know any good, like, I have, the, my leather jacket is the only nice thing I own. And I, like, did research on where to get it. What brand is your leather jacket? It's All Saints. Oh, yeah, that's the best. Yeah, All Saints yeah. is good. But that's like $1,000? No, 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 it was, it was half that. Oh, okay. And yeah, it was my- like a, it was like a purchase when I moved to LA because, like, the weather's so weird here. And I was like, this is going to be a jacket I wear all the time. And I, and I do. Yeah, mine was like under $300 and everyone's like, just buy another one. But it's just more to it. Like, it, like someone was like, why didn't you just get one right away in DC? I'm like, a leather jacket is not like a quick <laughs> yeah, little purchase. No. It's like, and I, I, I wear it DC, every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think DC's got the leather goods you're looking for. No offense, DC. I just think you should look at, like, I really went around and like tried on a bunch of different ones. Like, because I thought that was like, uh, like a big purchase, you know? It is, and it's something you wear every day. Did you get the? Did you text Trixie yet? No, not yet, but I will. Oh, so have have you been watching Drag Race? Yeah, are you caught up? Okay. I just caught up last night. So I was sorry, annoyed. Spoiler, yeah, the double save again. Yeah, I was the two so double annoyed. saves. It's like we're never going to get to the end of the season. Well, listen to this. So I'm talking to someone yesterday, and uh, Justin Martindale. He yesterday goes, "You know what it was? Rue in her head went, I need eight girls for Snatch Game.' Yeah." But then do Snatch Game before that episode then. Do Snatch Game this episode. But that is like, I wonder if she knew it was going to be a double save no matter what. I think that Cornbread leaving fucked up the whole schedule. So then they had that double save. And then they had, they had, they probably had like guests picked to come for Snatch Game. And so they had to do eight. But you're right. It's exactly like it has to be eight. Jasmine absolutely would have gone home. Third lip sync. Like she would have gone home, I think. 
Wow. Yeah. But they were both great. And I loved that they played with each other. And usually you don't hear a Motown hit. So that was like really exciting to hear. They were great. They were great. I just feel like if it wasn't for the reason exactly that your friend is saying, like then. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't even think about that. That's what's embarrassing. It's like we have worked in television. We do know television. And then I completely, I am completely believe it. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, a double say. You know, like I, I don't know why. Yeah, because if they move the, the snatch game, if they move the snatch game up a week, it might have affected the guests and like a whole bunch of other shit. So I think they were just like, whatever, we're doing it this way. Another yeah, double save. On the pit stop, too, they were like, we do not think that was a double save. <laughs> like no one watching it thought it was that spectacular. Yeah. But it was really good. I don't know. No, it was good. It was good. I just, um, I get a little bit like, uh, or when they bring people back, sometimes I'm like, oh my God, we're going to be here forever. (laughs) I wonder if Katya is going to talk about what's happening with the war. Like, I wonder what her opinions are. I do too. I haven't heard her say anything yet. Well, her favorite Russian performer, Ala Pugacheva, has escaped uh, Russia, I read. And is that the same singer who was positive for COVID that she talked about on her? She had a singer she follows in Russia who they posted it. They posted their positive COVID test and Katya thought it was a pregnancy test. But then she had to translate the caption and was like, oh, no, sorry. It's a COVID test. Because she was like, oh, 39. That's wonderful. You're pregnant. Like, oh, no. Ala Pugacheva is like in her 60s. Like my, I used to see her as a child. Oh. She truly is like this legend. But she's married to Galkin, who's a young, like 30 year old. Like she's married to a very young man who's obsessed wow, with her. Wow. Okay. And they love each other. But I read that they've escaped. Yeah. Like the Jimmy Fallon of Russia spoke out. His show got canceled immediately. Like anyone that speaks out about it, their electricity has been cut. No, and now China's backing it up too. China's getting rid of all of the pro, of the pro Ukraine stuff that's there. So it's I don't know. The two of them together is what makes me nervous. China and Russia like linking up to fuck the world over is is nerve wracking. But I feel like China does own us. Like we have <sighs> we're delusional to think that we're like America number one. Like oh, and let's fucking we probably have to do something positive for gay kid, kids because. The fucking Senate passed in Florida, the Don't Say Gay Bill. And um, Allie Krieger and Ashlyn Harris, U.S. women's soccer team players, I saw their post, Baby Sloan. And then it's like, wait, so their child's not going to be able to say they have two moms in school? It's illegal for her to be like, oh, my two moms are coming? Like, what? I think, I think just to be clear, I think that the kids can say whatever they want. The teachers are not allowed to talk to them about it. And it's K through three. So I'm hoping at least... I think that that's fucking deplorable and horrible, but I'm hoping that at least that doesn't affect kids that are like in their early teen tweens that might be seeking out a teacher for like help coming out or something like that, that that doesn't, you know, punish them. Even though I still think that I still think K through three is fucking awful. I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm just saying I, when I read that, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to try to find any silver lining, it's that it doesn't affect older kids who are, more likely. But, you know, it's like dealing with sexual identity starts at a young age. We should be able to start talking to kids. I already tell Rosie at two because she's very into the binary of who's a girl, who's a boy. And I go, and some people aren't a boy or a girl. And some people are a boy and a girl. And some, you know, I'm like trying to tell her all the things now at two because it's already starts to get so ingrained so young. Well, yeah. And then you become a 40 year old idiot who can't remember to say they, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Like you got to teach them young. Yes. But it's, um, it's sad. I feel so sad. And I can't believe it passed. Because usually with bills that are that, like, deplorable, like you said, and, like, that shitty, I'm like, well, it won't pass. It's okay. They're just, it's just in the news. It won't pass. The ACLU will get involved. And then it's like, wow, it passed. Okay, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you, whenever, like, especially Drag Race stuff, when they do the, when they talk to their younger selves at the end, it's always like, Photos of them wearing heels as little kids, you know, that it's them dressing right. up gender bendy, right. super young. Um, so it's just uh, fucked up. Fuck Florida, fuck Republicans. <sighs> okay. That's How do it. we bring this up? How do we bring this up for the end? How do we dismount <laughs> on a positive note? How do we dismount on a positive note? What have I seen in the world that has made me happy? Hmm. I had Funyuns yesterday. <laughs> I went to tap class again yesterday and I am bad. <laughs> Are you bad? Are you bad at tap? I, listen, I just like the first two classes, I was like, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. And then this third class, I'm like, I, she just goes, and then it's blah, 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 blah. And I go, I, what? Like, you got to do that 10 more times, but she doesn't do it 10 more times. And I don't want to ask because... The well, rest now of the you class. know how hard it is in Drag Race to learn choreo. All I'm saying is I'm committed to getting better, but I don't think you're going to see me shuffling off to Buffalo anytime oh, soon. Oh, speaking of dancing, <laughs> this is something I wanted to talk about that I fully forgot. So my friend JB, her daughter is at School Dance Age, and I saw a photo and it was her and all of her friends in little dresses, all in sneakers. I loved it. I just love <laughs> that girls go to dances now in sneakers and aren't like f wearing heels and uncomfortable taking their heels off. And what am I going to do? Like, what a nightmare we lived through. And I'm just yeah. like, dresses with sneakers, Casey Musgrave style. Like, thank goodness. No, party shoes were a nightmare growing up. We called them party shoes. Horrible. And I know I'm never going to get Rosie in any. So I'm already planning like the sneakers she's going to wear as a flower girl. Like she, yeah, she's comfort all the way. That girl, you've seen her. And um, I ran into Patty Harris. I mean, wh oh, whatever. Cool people won Independent Spirit Awards and it's like, and we're there and it's just like fun. My friend Joyelle's on the, nominated for a Critics' Choice Award. Uh, the award show is like, as we're recording, like the next two days. So we'll know if she Wait, won or not. Wait, what's Joyelle nominated for? Her comedy special. Oh, amazing. And hey, so is cool. Joe Firestone. Yeah, but I was like busy when she sent me the photo of the dress she was wearing and I just, I forgot to respond. I'm living my life. And then she goes, so you hate the dress, huh? And I was like, no, no, no. I was just busy. I was busy. I don't hate the dress. Like, I love it. Yeah, check out Joelle, um, Nicole Johnson's special on Peacock and Joe Firestone's special on Peacock. And now let's fucking And now you got episode. Lisa saying Peacock twice, you perv. Oh, yeah. All right, let's get going. You guys are going to love today's episode. Let's go. Okay, fantastic. We're doing season four, episode 24. It's called Perfect which I like. Um, it is a classic, and it starts with lights and sirens, cop cars zooming to a hip, fast, like, you know, Fast and the Furious style stop. Um, it, like, s spins around, and uniformed cops, like, run to the shop owner, and the shop owner goes, he robbed me, he robbed me. So cops chase whatever into an alley, trying to find who robbed them. They hear shots. What are the shots? The shots are in the alley. All the cops are running. They're meeting up and they have apprehended like a gutter punk, like <laughs> skater guy. There's a beanie, you know, was he hungry or drug addict? I'm not sure, but he then, needed money for a new board, a new board. <laughs> and then, oh no, one of the cops says, check this out. And there's a shot young girl who is dead uh, laying by the trash can. And then we see Benson coming through the yellow crime scene tape. She's with Stabler, who's pinning a badge onto his leather jacket, which seems impossible to do. Like, as a person who is a fan of buying pins and my leather jacket, there's no fucking way. You're not putting a little pin on the leather. But 
neither here nor there. <laughs> so Stabler says, I think it's weird they're bringing us into an officer-involved shooting. What's going on here? They're suspicious. And then we see IAB enemy number one, Tucker. And then um, he describes, we, we get all the info. It's a black female teen sleeping on the streets, maybe a runaway. Someone worked her over, burn marks on both of her arms. Um, there's ribbons in her braids and a very nice blanket. So it's not a classic runaway vibes, uh, but there is a hole in her head. So basically a cop shot her in the head and now wants SVU to clean it up. And so they're pissed. And Tucker's trying to be sincere. Like, this girl was tortured. We need to know who she is. Do you want her parents to just see her face in the paper? So this is a manipulation tactic, if I've ever seen one. And, you know, SVU, they have big hearts. So SVU starts walking away like, nah, we have no interest in cleaning up your mess. And then IAB, he goes, well, can't you just do me a favor? And Benson loses it. She does a sexy spin back turn. And um, this is a perfect moment to address her hairdo. So... It's kind of a mix between a 20s flapper, a homeschool bowl cut, and a boy band <laughs> guy, but in a fresh cut, like a thick, chunky bang, very short. I would say 20s flapper is the, the closest. Have we covered this hairdo often? Um, We've done another episode in season four, I think, but I don't know. Or am I always surprised to talk about the hair no matter what? <laughs> like, I'm for some reason, I was like, I don't think I've seen this one before, but I have. For sure, I have. And wait, and speaking of looks, Tucker looks so much younger, but for so much some reason to me, less handsome. Like, I think he looks better older. Yeah, he's a white hair um, man. That's what he's meant to be. Yeah. So Benson, you know, flips around and she goes, all the times you people jammed us up and now you want us to play nice? You got a set of balls asking us for anything. Love that. Stabler says, if we find out it's a cop, like the cop shot this girl, you want us to keep it quiet? And Tucker goes, no, 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 do your job. However it turns out, it turns out. We're not here to like, no secrets. If you don't want to do it for me, that's fine. But you obviously want to do it for her. So you know our detectives are in. Now we meet CSU Captain Judith. Um, I was about to say Judith Light. It's not Judith Light. It's like Judith. Judith Cypher. Uh, yeah. Um, and she says she found seven slugs and give this and she gives all the scoops on all the evidence on the scene and where all the like trajectories came from. Um, there's shootings from the perp's gun, the cop's gun, and they went through a steel drum and then it hit her. Um, but so they do like some per some they do detective work. I don't know. Leave me alone. It's like laser trajectory evidence. Mm -hmm. So we find out the perp uh, is the one who fired the shot that killed. Um the sweet girl or a also, bitch. like, I'm know. sorry. If you're like running away from the cops in a robbery, what's going through your mind that you're like, I'm going to fire some shots. I'm going to kill some cops. Like if even if you can, you can go to jail for robbery for not that long. Like I just don't get turning around and being like, bang, bang, bang. Like it's a shootout. Well, I just don't know if people that are robbing stores have great decision-making skills. Yeah, yeah. You're asking get, a lot I out guess. of people who might not it's have It's like, it I get them. running, try to outrun them, but don't, I would not try to kill one. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, cop killers don't bode well in the criminal justice system. <laughs> the fact they didn't shoot him on the spot is actually the most fiction thing that SVU well, has ever done. Because he was white. <laughs> Even if you shoot a cop, I don't know. They really don't love that. They don't love that. They'll That's do a famous. whole parade. They'll do a whole That's parade. part of our rule of culture. If we were to start rules of culture, yeah. the cops famously don't love it when you shoot them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So now we're back at the uh, lab morgue area, Melinda Warner's playground. She's in a straight hair ponytail, 
only problem is the girl was already dead. So there's a fork in all of that. I saw, uh, let me just say, I saw when I was looking up, when I was looking up various things about this episode, like, you know how on IMDb people will sometimes point out indiscrepancies. People were like, somebody wrote on IMDb, like, if the girl was already dead, why was she bleeding from the bullet hole? She would have stopped bleeding if she was dead. Like, she yeah. wouldn't have had, so that was an inconsistency that she had, like, blood running down the bullet hole. Yeah, so there wouldn't be any blood at all. I, I guess if you shoot somebody that's already dead, it, there's no blood. That, I mean, there's no blood that, like, spills out because hmm. you don't have any more blood pressure. Interesting. Interesting. So Melinda fills us in. Um, outside of that, uh, she says the girl was filthy. She hadn't bathed in weeks. Cheap clothes. But the necklace, she had this, like, very expensive necklace, an infinity symbol on a chain, which, of course, Benson knows. Benson, like, always knows what's expensive and what's not. I, you could not tell me what was an expensive necklace. I mean, maybe I could be like, this looks a little bit Claire's, but, like, I cannot tell what's nice and what's not, you know? But Benson knows. Yeah, um, she didn't know. And then, but this is actually gross. So the the things on her arms were not burns. They were cockroach bites. Ugh. Okay, so we got an Annalise scoop um, midway through. Um, incoming, incoming. What is, oh, breaking news. I was like, what the fuck is the word? <laughs> So uh, the body won't really bleed. It might ooze, though, um, and blood clots and thickens after death. So, yeah, it would be like a, a thick ooze, not a mm. gushing blood. Thank you for that. Yeah. We learn a lot on this show. Always fun to talk about ooze. Ooze is an underused word. Maybe because we don't <laughs> run into ooze. I like it. Ooze reminds me of pus, and that's one of my least favorite words. I know, because when I had some ear moments, you didn't like when I mentioned the pus. I was worried for you. I just didn't really want to hear the P word. It really, for some reason, it, it, I think because I had infected ears for so long, my mom would always be like, oh, it's pussing, and like now oh, I'm triggered. No, <laughs> it, it hurts me too. I um, Ooze is more fun to me. It's slimy. It's Ghostbusters. It's like yeah. something's that creepy. Or when they somebody they say somebody is oozing charm. Yeah, you know, like oh, she oozes star power. It's like a yeah, but that's word. not good. Because if you radiate, that's positive. If you ooze, that means like that's it's bad oily. charm. That's yeah. slimy. Yeah, that's a slimy personality. Charm is dangerous. Charm is can go either way. Charm is not As a blanket. Normal. How do we know? Oh, because of our line of work. Yeah, because of serial killers that are charming. <laughs> well, and comedians. Oh, yes. Also that. True. Or terrible people. But can charm your little pants off. I wonder if there's a comedian that we know who has murdered. I wonder. Hmm, interesting. That like hit someone with their car and never told anyone and that person's <laughs> dead. Like we've got to know a killer. Do you think I've never even considered that? No, this is a new thought. I mean, this you know, once you wow. when you talk for a year straight, nonstop, constantly, this is what happens. This is where you get to. <laughs> These are the thoughts that do come we out. know a murderer? <laughs> do we DM solve us your the crime? thoughts? <laughs> yeah, DM us your thoughts. We'll put out some uh, some polls. Okay, back to cockroach bites. <laughs> so we're at Melinda's, um, and we're going over the evidence of the young girl who was found in the alley. Um, shot by an officer perp shootout, but oh, was dead before the shooting. 
And now we're here. Tucker thought this girl had burns on her arms. It's actually cockroach bites, which is sickening. Um, And then she keeps going like we want to hear more. And she goes, if she was dead, the bites wouldn't bubble up. But if she was um, mobile, the cockroaches wouldn't bite her. That's sick. So, yeah. So she was drugged or sick or restrained or something. We don't really know. So we're back at the precinct. We have Cragen wearing suspenders saying this girl was held captive or what? Like, how can we explain this non-movement? Ugh, feeling cockroaches bite. I didn't even know cockroaches bite you. I didn't even know that either. I did not know usually you bite. like turn a light. That's the thing. You turn a light on and cockroaches scatter, you know? So like they're kind of scared of people. But if you're sitting there restrained or like you know, inc- incapacitated, they're going to have a buffet. It's horrible. I can't believe you just used the word buffet. I know. I'm sorry. My, I can't even really say the word. You know, my sister calls uh, C words. She calls them butterflies. She cannot talk about them. They're like her biggest fear. Like she would literally say, oh my God, I, on Third Avenue, I saw a butterfly today. And like, and it would be like ruin her fucking day. What does she say for butterfly? Barely talks about them. <laughs> Well, if she ever wants, uh, you know, I have a giant butterfly on my forearm. For what reason? No reason. No reason. (laughs) Well, no, she loves butterflies. (laughs) The fact that, like, my biggest tattoo is a butterfly is just like, what is happening? I don't even know. I think that actually makes a lot of sense in, like, a funny meta way because you you act like your tattoos kind of don't have any story, but, like... Butterflies are a popular tattoo. I don't know. There's something that makes sense about it to me. Well, like, yeah. They're a popular I, tattoo, but you did it in a different, like, I don't know. No, the 90s are back. I was regressing. I was, it was like, I ha- I was, I remember the day. I was in the apartment and I, I, I was like, I, I have to set up the printer or I'll get a tattoo. And then I did that. <laughs> <laughs> I arrived. I was like, give me a butterfly. Like, uh, whatever. Can we get back to these cockroach bites? But this yes. is sickening and I hate this so much. Um. So then we also figure out that she was dead somewhere else than brought over to this area. And the blanket, obviously, we're not new to SVU, shows that somebody cared for her, which leans towards a female person. Like, I'm thinking about the hairbrush piano lesson episode. And women usually, like, take care of their victims or something. Good Jesus. Um, and there's ribbons in the hair. Someone did love her. Munch and Finn run in like giggling schoolgirls. They're excited. They have some, they have scoop. It's positive ID on the victim. She is a missing girl from Philly. Her name is Samantha Tassler. She went missing eight months ago. The parents come in tonight. I hate seeing the sad parents. I think it's my least favorite oh, thing of the so show. They're so sad too. They're so sad. So they show the parents all the bags of evidence um, and they're reacting, but they've never seen that necklace. They don't know where this necklace has come from. So they have to rush over to a different scientist with the necklace. And he goes, yeah, honestly, I don't know if she's a runaway or a street kid, how she had this necklace on her, because this is worth a grand, near a grand, he says. It's platinum. So, and then he goes, but it's not a mainstream, like the fact that they even say this, it's like, is this real or not? These details are what make SVU so special. So (laughs) it's not a mainstream necklace because it's coated in rhodium. So it has to be handmade. What? Jewelry specialists, I guess. I mean, yeah, but they're saying she would have sold it, right? Like, because it's worth so much. So she's probably not a street kid. Yeah. Yeah. Or would have been like beat up at a shelter and it would have been taken. Do you remember Curly Uh, Sue? Yeah, yeah. Her ring got One taken. of the main reasons people don't go to shelters, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> because of Curly Sue? Because of Curly Sue, the movie, yes, famously. 
<laughs> when we go live on tour, let's just put on Curly Sue and see what happens. <laughs> we, we don't do the podcast. I love where today is going. Like we're at 23 minutes and we're oh on page Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. This is a nightmare. Okay. <laughs> so he, they trace it to a little shop in the village. The man is obviously gay because it's a jewelry store. This is like florists. We're not going to go to any of these places and not see a gay man there. So um, it's Ross St. Clair played by Brian Reddy. He's a very books, you know, actor, but he's a Seinfeld person. So I obviously have oh, to yes. announce him. Um, he is the high talker. He's Noreen's husband, Dan. And Elaine thinks she's talking to Noreen on the phone. And it's like, ooh, you were flirting with Jerry. And then he goes, I love this episode. It's like a female. He has a man with a female voice, basically. Yes. That's so funny. So and Ross St. Clair. Well, this man's sexuality has nothing to do with the plot, but his name is Ross St. Clair. They're telling you everything you need to know, I think. <laughs> yes. And he owns a jewelry store. Come on. Come on. So it's $800. Did something happen to her? She was wearing my infinity? Whoa. Um, and he goes, yeah, I make these custom for Garrett Lang. He's a regular. His assistant came in with a drawing. And usually I make only my own stuff. But this guy, he orders like 100 of them at a time. That's 80 grand. So love that. Um, and he handed out the business card fast. And I love that. He's not like, oh, warrants, my patience, my this, yeah, my yeah. that. Because I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Client and confidentiality in my jewelry store. I just love that he's like, yeah, go fucking talk to him. I have I have jewels to make. I'm yeah. Ross St. Clair and I'm busy. So they visit this wild clinic, spiral staircase, Marla, Mar marble, Marla, marble column <laughs> vibes. And there's a giant ring hanging in the middle with an infinity symbol. This is, it looks like a Vegas style ring. Someone should be contortion tricks in it at any moment. <laughs> Pink is about to go do a show up there. Oh, my God. I love Pink. <laughs> um, so he uh, he says he gives them to all his patients. And it's like, what the fuck? Um, then he starts talking about stamina. And this guy kind of looks like a poor man's Ashton Kutcher. So. Absolutely. That is the best. I, yeah. I kept thinking he looks so familiar. Poor man's Ashton Kutcher is perfect. So I will be going back from calling him Dr. Garrett Lang Ashton. So either of those names throughout <laughs> this episode will work. Um, and he is a serious regular from Queer as uh, Folk, and that was his big thing. His name's Gail Harold. Her um, he's been on Desperate Housewives, and I do not trust him. But, you know, it's this thing of, like, why are you handing out expensive things? If you watched Inventing Anna with Anna Delvey, she was, like, tipping with hundreds, very obviously, and the hotel worker's boyfriend goes, why does she have to do that? Rich people don't need to show off. Like, she's trying to prove something. Mm. And that's how I feel. Like, right away, I'm like, why are you giving out these expensive necklaces to people? I don't believe it. He starts talking about injections, testosterone, hormones. I think he's a quack. I don't know. Is he doing Botox? I don't know what he does. Did you, do you know? He's he's talking about like giving you like treatments that can just like enhance your performance like in your life. Like make you feel, it's fountain of youth bullshit. Like it's like young, make you feel younger, make you feel faster, better at sex. Like, you know, everything like that. That He's, he's a quack for sure. Death becomes her. Yes. I wrote that. Yes. Now a warning? Go on. <laughs> um, so he's denying he knows this girl, Samantha, and says he does not treat children. Um, but he goes, you know, my patients say a lot of people ask about these necklaces. Like, this is sad. Um, but I obviously can't give you a list of my patients. Obviously not. Um, so now we're zooming back to reality from the clinic. We're at the 16th precinct and Munch is giving us a rundown on Dr. Ashton. He says he's, I hate saying this, Sam Cum Laude. Summa cum laude. What does that mean? Second place? You were kind of smart, but not the smartest? 
It's the high, it's the highest um, GPA. Like it's the highest. Like a few people graduate at the top of the class. That's summa cum laude. You can be cum laude, magna cum laude, summa cum laude. And I'm sure someone's going to tell me I'm pronouncing this wrong, but I think I'm cl- <laughs> I'm close to as Latin is not a spoken language anymore. Um, yeah, and you guys are nerds, so what do we care? <laughs> so he went to Stanford. That's a brand name. Then he went to Yale for his MZ and PhD at residency with a focus on OBGYN and infertility and reproductive endocrinologist. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> Cragen makes a good point. With all these credentials, he's just working at some feel-good clinic. Like, that doesn't really make sense. Why wouldn't he be doing something greater with his knowledge? Um, he is in a lot of papers with high society, and he believes that hormones can reverse the aging process. So Finn uh, pops in with a burn, and he's like, sounds like a lunatic fringe of medicine. I don't know. I kind of... I'll, I like what Finn says anything. <laughs> I loved the post for his birthday and everyone had all their favorite lines. That was really special. You guys really came through. Um, really a nice way to celebrate our man. So mm. uh, him and Munch argue about like what they think is going on. And my ice is like maybe a pedophile, maybe like Kara said, fountain of youth. Also necklace can't tie him to like, you know, the necklace can't really tie him to this body and the autopsy is backlogged. So what are we going to do? Cragen sends them to the morgue to get to like wait there until the data gets ready. So what's going to happen? There's so much confusion. Uh, so Benson and Stabler meet up with Melinda again. Traces of facial tissue and dried saliva being tested for DNA. There's a blood clot to the left lung due to severe dehydration and liquids deprived for five to 10 days. So the the blood turned to sludge. We talked about it with the ooze. So she was locked away. But what's fucked up is when you get your period, one to two eggs get released. But Samantha had 12 eggs released at the exact same time. And that only happens with IVF and fake shit. And she's 14 years old. So it's impossible for her to ever have this. And she was carrying an eight-week-old fetus. Shit is twisted. And the doctor's obviously connected to whatever egg shit this is if he's an OBGYN. Mm -hmm. So now we're at a walk and talk with Alex Cabot. She's, of course, like, not enough evidence. And he goes, come on, do it. No, it won't stand in court. You have to find a direct link. So they do this. So we got to get financials. That's what we can get. That's what Alex Cabot can get from her favors with the judges is some financials. Um, there's not one phone under his name. Suspicious. But everything is under the business. Some um, He is worth around $5 million cash and he has real estate um, holdings five times that. Um, and one of the buildings is a tax-exempt status building. So that, of course, piques little Stabler's interest. And it's a nonprofit foundation for knowledge expansion. It's an educational enrichment program for uh, young women at risk. It's in Chelsea. So obviously, we're going, honey. So they're <laughs> staking outside, um, seeing what's up. But it's not usual troubled kid vibes. So they don't get it. And then they see a girl and they're both like, wait, 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 wait. That girl looks so familiar walking into the center. Who is that? Oh my God, that's Jessica Morse. She went missing. They recognize her from the posters. There were so many posters of this missing girl. And it's New York City. Of course, Benson and Stabler know about all the missing girls in town. So they rush the building. An old lady baddie comes up. And uh, this is Barbara Berry. She has 117 IMDb credits. Very exciting. Um, I think a lot of our listeners will be happy to know she was the voice of Hercules's mom in the Disney animated hit, Hercules. That <laughs> People really like that one. That wasn't a big one to me, but there is a Hercules Disney stand club. Annalise is nodding. So I, I'm in it. I'm in it. 
Um, born in Chicago in 1931. Are you kidding me? That's that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and she has tiny, tiny lips. You know, she like Miranda Priestly pursing her lips and Devil Wears Prada is how this woman's mouth is at all times. And that is her. <laughs> and I will And she's the thumbnail for this episode. And you always just kind of like when you see this episode and her, you're like, ah, right, it's this. Yes, she's everything to me. Like if one day I am about to win a million dollars and they show me her face, I'll know exactly who it is. And <laughs> she has a white hair pixie cut. They bust inside the school and she's like, excuse me. Um, but they saw a missing girl. They have every right to run into that um, brownstone. So we find out this woman is a licensed teacher and these are her students. So there's girls in desks. There's a few girls there. And she says she finds the girls on the streets. Her name is Paula Haggerty and she gives them a safe place to live, food and education. Benson is not having any of it, arrests her dumb ass and says, well, now they're going back home to their parents. How about that? And when she handcuffs her, guess what Paula Haggerty has? An infinity symbol tattoo on the inside of her arm. So we know that she's connected. An old lady doesn't just get an infinity tattoo. It's not like that was trendy <laughs> in the 70s. We know exactly <laughs> when that became popular. Hello, Tiffany's brand jewelry. I think that's what brought, or maybe that's just to me, but that's what made the infinity symbol known to me was Tiffany's. Oh, really? Yeah, you it knew about it Tiffany's. before? Oh, no, like I didn't know math? that was a Tiffany infinity. Yeah, I knew about it for math and like, I'd seen people's tattoos of it, actually. No, I didn't know about it till uh, those necklaces. Like, if you mm. wanted to be different. Yeah. You wanted Tiffany's, but a little different. The bad girl's Tiffany. Oh, God, I just want to go into Tiffany's and treat it like Claire's. Like, <laughs> wouldn't that be so fun? Yeah. You don't even. Yeah, care. I don't. I'm not as. I'm not as. You're jewelry focused. You know me. I'm not. I'm not that jewelry focused. <laughs> but I, you know, you love delicate jewels. You love delicate necklaces. I like you, it, yes. you, you got. You like jewelry. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to put set up high expectations, and then our listeners meet us and go, "Your jewelry game's actually just average." You know, I just don't. <laughs> I just don't want that to happen. Um, she says, "Yes, I love my tattoo. It's for infinite potential." Stabler runs to get the missing girl, Jessica. She has long blonde hair. She says, I'm not who you think I am. He says, your family wants you back. She says, my name is Marjorie. It's not Jessica. And this is my family. Hello, can we say brainwash? And this actress is Kimberly J. Brown. You might know her as Halloween Town Girl, a.k.a. Quince, a.k.a. The Missing Girl. Hello. Um, <laughs> this is huge. Halloween Town hit like a crux this year. Um, I saw it everywhere. So uh, this is very cool to see her in this. And... Blonde. We are here and Stabler and her are trying to have a moment. And now we're cutting to Lady Haggerty. And she's in interrogation and she has a lawyer. The lawyer is sexy. Oh, and this woman, the lawyer, is played by Laura Herring. And she is really famous for this David Lynch movie called Mulholland Drive. And that's, I think, like her claim to fame. She's from Mexico. I was like trying to place her accent, but it's very subtle. Um, she's very she's sexy, been in a ton of stuff. but that movie yeah. is very boring and I couldn't get through it. It was, yeah, I don't know. Maybe did you get day. to the make, did you get to the sex scene with Naomi Watts? I don't think so. Like, I don't know why, I don't know if me and David Lynch vibe because that's Twin Peaks too, right? Yeah. Didn't care, boring, fell asleep. I just don't care. Got what it. else has he done? He's done um, Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, um, uh, Wild at Heart. Like he's he, a lot of Laura Dern stuff. You haven't he's seen really it. Yeah, me, this Laura is what Dern. I'm learning. She's today. like David. He, she's his muse. I do love Laura Dern. Have you seen the? Um, I'm sorry. Have you seen the? Um, the meme of uh, Meg, of Julia Fox going. I was I was Brian Safdie's muse and Uncut Jams. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's my favorite. Uncut Jams. 
Um, so, okay. So we're the with longest this episode lawyer. of all time continues. <laughs> so we're in interrogation. Benson goes, fuck you. She goes, I just tried to help them. Their parents mistreated them. And Cragen goes, how would you even fucking know that? And I guess she studied psychology, which is not a real major. Like dumb bitches major in psychology all the time. It's not real. And as a sociology major, I feel like I could say that. Unless you have a PhD, it doesn't matter. Um, or maybe people do learn and retain information from college. Maybe I'm the fool. <laughs> so Cragen says she must know that the like that teens aren't always right about their parents being the worst. Like you, you know, from streetwise, <laughs> like some parents right. are kind of fine. Um, and the lawyer, like I said, hot, hot, hot. And we find out that Lang started the foundation of knowledge. So, okay, we're connecting it. He probably, like, he denied knowing the dead girl, but he is part of this foundation. Everyone's wearing this necklace. Like, fuck you. We're going to get you. Paula Haggerty doesn't deny seeing Samantha too, right? I don't know. Thank you for adding that. Yes. Listen, yes. I only have what I have. Um, <laughs> I've only seen this episode at least 15 to two, 20 times. <laughs> So, um, the lawyer, of course, my favorite line, um, are, what are we doing here? Are you charging? And they go, kidnapping. <laughs> like, you are being <laughs> charged. Like, you're not going to walk out of here. There's kidnapping. Um, so, Stabler and, Law, and you know, our um, Halloween town girl, Jessica, they're having a conversation. And he goes, your parents miss you. This, And she goes, no, 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 no. I love Miss Haggerty. And she's crying a little. And Stabler's talking about how her family loves and misses her. And she is just fully on Team Haggerty and needs to be with Haggerty, belongs with Paula Haggerty. Why can't you see that? I know everyone thinks I was kidnapped, but I ran away because my parents didn't understand me. And Haggerty saved my life and took me off the streets and feeds and teaches us. So, you know, she loves this woman and that Paula taught all the girls that they need to respect themselves and Stabler pulls out the big guns and takes out a photo of dead Samantha and goes, is this one of the girls? And she says no as she fiddles with her necklace and starts playing it with it, which is an obvious lie moment. If you start playing with a necklace, you're lying. Rule of culture. Can we just <laughs> rip off another podcast full segment? <laughs> Do we have to pay them 10 cents every time we say it? <laughs> Is legal going to get involved? Um, so we cut to Cragen um, looking through the blinds like a bored little neighbor, um, talking to George, Huang, and Cabot, and Benson. They're all talking. Like, what are we going to do? So one girl is from Denver, one from Chicago, one from Omaha, and one from Detroit. They're all high-profile cases because they all came from wealthy or upper-class families. Um, so very streetwise again, not to mention it, you know, our past episodes over and over again, but... <laughs> We did streetwise. What are you going to do about it? So uh, BD with a pertinent question asks, how do the girls react to being found? And they go, oh, pissed. They denied their real names. They denied that they were kidnapped and they just all want to go back to Mrs. Haggerty. And Cabot asks if this is Stockholm Syndrome, but BD Wong says, no, this is like full devotion brainwashing. It's kind of different. Um, and, but they can't hold anybody. So at the end of the day, they really can't connect Lang or Haggerty. Um, and the most they could do is custodial intervention, which is a misdemeanor. So they don't really know what, what can happen. Um, and Huang says, listen, I think this is a cult. And if Samantha got punished, she went against the cult guidelines. So something happened and this was a re-educating, which involves locking up, depriving and stuff like that. So, and the ME said that that is how she died. So they really need to get all the evidence together and really prove this case. So Cragen goes, oh my God. So if they're holding more girls other places, like we only found a few of the necklaces, like we have to find what's happening. So they go back to raid the original foundation brownstone. 
they find nothing like Homeland style, nothing. Um, everything is taken out. Nothing is left behind. So that shows innocence to me. I think this <laughs> is, you've obviously done nothing wrong. Um, and there's a long commercial break pause here, obviously. And we're back from the commercial and we're at work mode. We're trying to crack the case. Benson says that three trucks showed up and cleared the place in less than two hours. But who told them that? I'm confused. None of the girls were allowed near a phone. Like, so it had to be Haggerty or the lawyer. But would the lawyer risk losing her license by obstruction of justice? Like, how did this happen? So Jessica reunites with her parents. She's not that happy about it. And everyone at the precinct is staring. And she's just like, okay, I don't really like my parents. And Cragen goes, wow, cults, they're wild. So um, we cut to a fancy lawyer office. And there's a lot of wood. Fake Ashton's there in an eight-piece suit. We have Haggerty and the sexy lawyer. And George is with them. And Ashton's like, who are you? And he goes, FBI, babe. Um, And he loves to say that. So they ask who cleaned out the foundation and they go, how would we know? We have no idea. Um, They're like, it had to be one of you guys. So what's going on here? And the lawyer says very calmly, are you accusing me of a crime? And Benson's like, well, you all, you have the same lawyer. This is weird. You're all weird. Stop denying, stop being NeNe leaks at a reunion on Bravo. Like, you know you're acting different. Acknowledge it. Something shady mm-hmm. is happening. Like, so, like something's afoot, guys. Um, Ashton says, yes, I did call Joan as soon as uh, you took, you know, Paula away. We love her. And he's like, you're wrong. And Benson says, no, you're wrong. And you did in vitro on Samantha. Like, what are we wrong about that? And he says, maybe another OBGYN could have done that. You know, it's not me. And Stabler goes, sure, she had your necklace and had all these eggs, but that's okay. Like, shut up. And he says, any questions from the FBI, Agent Huang? Um, Bold, 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 bold. And BD Wong is like, oh, you're enjoying this, don't you, Dr. Lang? You fucking love this. And he responds, no, I enjoy helping girls thrive and realize their full potential. Clearly a psychopath. I don't trust him. Sorry. We have to close you down. Also, like, why don't you care about helping boys? Yeah. You don't need them to... First time in my life I care about the boys, but why won't you help the boys? Um, uh, And of course, we have another bingo line with the lawyer. And she says, if you're not charging us with a crime, you got to leave again. But this time it works. So they all have to leave. And George is like, you know what? That guy is a narcissistic bastard and he loves being in charge. And like, even the lawyer defers to him before speaking. So of course, teens would be impressed with someone like that. He seems like he's really smart and accomplished and teens are super vulnerable. And then they're like, and not that attractive and get bad grades and social outcasts. And it's like, okay, that's pretty harsh, Stabler. You're just calling all these kidnapped women like unattractive. It was just a wild (laughs) moment where he's like, they're ugly, they're dumb, they're unpopular, they have nothing to offer society. They know that they're easy prey. And we're like, (laughs) okay, Stabler, cool. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they, there are people who didn't fit in and now they fit in here and they get the approval and affection that they've been, um, that they've been missing and they get love bombed and they're loyal for life. It's a teenage girl's dream. Um, you're perfect the way you are. I thought it was interesting. They talked about love bombing because I have just been hearing about that now recently. Yeah. In like uh, dating and stuff. And I had never really heard that phrase before. Yeah. And this episode is from like 2003 or four. So it's like, SVU I don't know. SVU is always ahead of their time. But love bombing is very in right now. Sociopath is in. Toxic is in. Um, a lot of 
that's what's on Instagram at the moment. I've just yeah, like, like with um mid with West Elm. There was a guy named like West Elm West Elm Caleb. This guy who this girl her her TikTok blew up because she like outed this guy for being like a serial dater and a jerk who would like go on dates with girls like love bomb them, be like I'm obsessed with you, like everything about you is perfect, and then like never call them again. And he got blown up. And he, I think he was a furniture designer for West Elm. So he got called West Elm Caleb. I saw that, but I refused to learn about it. So thank you for filling me in. I can't not know. Um, that is amazing. Yeah. Um, it's cool that we're becoming more and more attuned to dangerous people out in the world that can ruin our lives, but also we can't overuse it. Yeah. Or we can, and we do. Who cares? But... <laughs> Yeah, if someone becomes obsessed with you, you're not that cool. Like, they're they're using you. Sorry. Is that what we're telling people? I just think it's like, you know, trust your gut. If you feel like someone's love bombing you and it's not authentic and it's not, like they haven't known you long enough to love bomb you, then something's up. That's red flag, you know? Yeah. So Stabler goes, there's no way these girls found them on accident. Like, there's no fucking way. And George agrees. Like, these girls were targets. How did they find them? But instead of going to a new location, we're like back to the sad, grieving parents. So that sucks. Their eyes are wet as hell, but they do have good information. They're like, wait, you said she was murdered. Now you're saying she's homeless. Now this, now that. Like, what are you doing? You're like turning the knife and twisting it harder. Like she was starved to death and left in an alley. Why did you have to tell them that? There's no reason they no, like need to know she was starving and being tortured. What the fuck, SVU? Um, but we do need to know her routine to see if um, something clicks. And something does click. She started getting um, bad grades, fell into a bad crowd. So they put her in a remedial tutoring center that helped kids realize their full potential. Ding, 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 ding. So that is the Center for Knowledge Builders. And they're rushing fast to get some information on um, this place where maybe the girls are being taken from. But the quote is exactly the same. This is this has to be it. So they go to a place. They show um, the photo of Samantha and this woman in a white tank and a blazer is like, no, 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 never seen her before. And the woman asks, like, why are you guys here? And they're like, well, the girl actually attended this center. So this is pretty awkward that you have no idea who she is. And then Stabler brings up, like, also a girl that went missing in Philly also went to one of these centers in Philly. And this woman goes, I don't like her insinuation detective. And I love the way she said it. And he goes, well, I don't like liars. And she goes, well, if you're going to be rude, this conversation's over. I just love everything. But basically, she has an infinity symbol tattoo in the inside of her arm. Ah! <laughs> so um, she goes, what? We're just trying to help kids read. <laughs> Wait, Uncut Jams. Did I do it okay? <laughs> I've been too embarrassed. That was the first time I've tried it. Um, <laughs> it was good. Is uh, So she's like, listen, full potential quote. Is that a crime? And Benson goes, well, yeah, if Dr. Lang paid for it, then yes, this is fucked up. And she goes, oh, my God, Garrett Lang, our hearts, our eyes. We love him, love him. He's a generous, forward-thinking man. Um, Whatever. So she's like, he's an investor. They could pause for a little bit. But we got to go to home base. We got to have, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. <sighs> but... This woman has a lawyer. Uh, and basically, all the girls that went to the center. He pays for the center. Then Haggerty teaches them. So Kondersky is the woman at the center, recruits them. Haggerty teaches them. And Quentin, the lawyer, protects. And he has all these women doing his dirty work. So now what? Can I also just say that every single person in this episode, like, doesn't give a single tell when they look at these photos of these girls. They're all like, no. Like, they all are like, nope, never seen them. Like, perfect 
deflection. Like none of them are even like, um, no, you know what I mean? Like everyone was just like, never seen them. Nope. Yeah. So quick, I don't know. Like, like I'm just four people. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel desperate to be involved in, inv- in, a, in an investigation to help. And these people are just like, not like I would take a double glance. I'd be like, yeah. did I see her somewhere? You know, like, yeah, you're right. It's so fucking quick. Um, so then Munch finds out that Kandinsky's credit card statements put her in the city of each of the other girls' disappearance three days before they go missing. But still, there's no smoking gun. They need a smoking gun. Um, all the girls have gone home already, though, so maybe we can get it from Jessica. So they go harass Jessica at the townhouse. Jessica and Stabler sit outside and behind the glass of, like, a really nice home, Benson speaking to the parents. But they focus on Jessica and Stabler, who's wearing an amazing corduroy coat that I would love to have in my collection of outerwear that I don't wear that hangs there. So Stabler's doing creepy, creepy, like, familiar, we're friends, like, tricking to get information, but she really misses Paula Haggerty. And she's like, do you really think she did something wrong? And he goes, yeah, I I do. And she says she thinks that Paula is the most wonderful woman alive ever. And she thinks Garrett's the best ever. And he's just trying to get some sort of information. And finally, we get some crazy that Garrett Lang is going to save the world. The ozone layer is disappearing and the UV rays will make everyone sterile. So the only way our species will survive is by cloning living cells. Jessica is pregnant and he chose her to be the one of the mothers of the future. So Stabler says, you're carrying a cloned baby? And she goes, yes, I'm a dumb bitch. And I am. I think there's a cloned baby inside of me. Um, And she thinks that she is helping um, a family, a couple whose baby has died. And she's bringing their child back to life. And he goes, did you guys fuck? And she goes, no, he would never. So he took baby cells, my eggs, yada, yada, in vitro. Bada boom, bada bang. This is what's happening. But like it's made up. It's like he took cells and put them in my eggs. Like it just, the science is like, even a 14-year-old should be like, okay, but like where's the sperm? Like it's so. Well, yeah, they just believe that it's clones. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yale and Stanford are brand names. Like, maybe you just trust people. True. So we cut to from finding out about in vitro to breaking down the doors of a clinic. Boom, boom, bam. And uh, Benson calls it a little shop of horrors. And then they, like, go midway through him doing an experiment on a girl whose, like, legs are in the stirrups. And Benson and Stabler hold little masks to their face, which is cute. And... Um, he's like, if my person gets an infection and they're like, why would there be an infection? I have a little mask holding. Like, you're wearing dirty, <laughs> dirty cop clothes. Like, um, But there's no open wounds. So it's like, stop what you're doing. Put the teen girl away. Um, you're like, teen girls aren't guinea pigs, you psycho. They're in interrogation and um, they are trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. But he's like, honestly, I'm just trying to like help the future of humanity and you've harmed our cause. And Benson goes, what's your cause? Preying on the grief of parents who have lost their children and then promising cloned babies for donations. Like, you're a fraud and I hope you go to fucking jail and cloning is illegal too. Why are you pretending what you're doing is right? (laughs) Like, you know it's fucked up. He then brings up Catholicism and Stabler obviously does not like that one bit. Um, And he does a classic psychopath move, which is comparing yourself to Jesus or greater things. So he thinks he's like Galileo Darwin vibes. And this reminded me, sorry to talk about New Jersey Housewives again, but I'm on a big rewatch. But so Caroline Manzo's son starts hanging out with Billy Joel and Christy Brinkley's daughter, Alexa. 
do you know this? But Caroline Manzo talks. She goes, yeah, I mean, both of our children come from very, you know, privileged homes. And it's like, did you just compare yourself to Billy Joel and Christy Brinkley? (laughs) I love how this reminds you of that. This guy comparing himself to Galileo reminds you of Caroline Manzo comparing herself to Billy Joel. I mean, that is the vibe of this podcast in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just like, you think that you're like, by owning a catering hall in Jersey and being on the Housewives, (laughs) you're equal to one of the greatest musicians of all time. (laughs) Who's just monthly selling out Madison Square Garden for years and like a supermodel of the world. And you're like, you know, both of our kids know what it's like to be in the limelight. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Perfect match. But yeah, you're not fucking Galileo, you dumb Ashton bitch. So then um, the lawyer then is like, what's the charge? Like, shut up. And Bensie is sexy as fuck and stone cold stares her down and goes, fraud and aggravated sexual abuse. And I love, it's like, stop pretending nothing is going on. Like, there are real charges, you fuckers. And he's confident that the, the charges won't stand in court. And Cabot and Cragen have been spying through the glass. And Cabot says, he's right. Let him loose. I just, she's so, I just hate this. Like, I love this show so much. Half but- of her job is going, I need more. Cut him loose. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's literally 50% of her. Yeah, like, from now on, I think all the lawyer scenes, I'm just going to go, the class leave me alone. No, I, I will always just keep talking and never shut up. And but it is like, it, this is a weird part because like, if you don't mind me just summarizing this next bit, she goes, little teens don't need consent to get pregnant. And it's true. It's like, we don't want to get caught up in like, the legalities of, oh, well, if you need consent to get pregnant, then you need consent to get an abortion and all this stuff. Like, we need to leave reproductive rights very fluid. And that's what this guy is um, preying on. The fact that reproductive rights with teens is, like, very open. It's, like, a legal thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, yeah, if, if teens are allowed to get pregnant, we can't really dictate how they get pregnant. Yeah. So thank you for summarizing it. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting because it was like, I could see at this point why Cabot's like, can't really do much. You know? Absolutely. But Cragen's like, uh-uh, this is like Mangala. This is Nazi shit. Like, I'm not for it. So they're, yeah. you know, on opposite ends of more of whatever. They're having a discussion. So Alex Cabot goes, how many more times do I have to tell you this? We can only get him if you connect him to Samantha Tassler's death. And, like, she's probably at wit's end. Like, what don't <laughs> you guys understand? Like, connect connect it. So they run in, uh, They run to Melinda, and Melinda goes, listen, I'm, I'm ruling this a homicide. The DNA on the cheek belongs to Paula Haggerty. Oh, no. Uh, Melinda's in a tight bun, which I think rarely happens too. And also, Samantha was pregnant. There was a fetus. So the and then so the, 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 thank God they could get the father's DNA of this fetus. It is not a clone. So we will need Lang's DNA to prove that it's his baby, and it is. So the father of the baby is little baby Ashton Lang, and um, so <laughs> this is huge. So. Ashton Lang. Now they um, cut to Jessica in a high ponytail with wispy bangs. And she's like, my parents are trying to make me give up my baby. (laughs) And she seems really bubbed. Um, And Stabler goes, you know why we got 
your baby DNA tests. And she goes, yeah, to make sure the baby's okay. And he goes, actually, we're full of tricks. We're the NYPD. And we found out who the father is and it's Lang and you've been lied to and it's not a cloned baby. It's impossible. And he is the father of your baby. And she screams, no. And he goes, it's the truth. I'm sorry, but it's true. And she goes, no. And, you know, they're trying to get her on their, on her, you know, they're trying to get her to testify. They need uh, Jessica's cooperation at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Um, and she thought she was helping a couple. And he goes, no, you know, Lang tricked them too. So it's a problem. There's a lot of tears. So then she finally spills the beans, the beans that we've been waiting for. Um, Samantha told Jessica that she knew Dr. Lang was a fake and she was going to report him to the police. And so Jessica went and told Paula Haggerty on her. And then no one saw Samantha again. So I, she will be living with this guilt forever and it is her fault. And maybe she should get some jail fucking time too. Because if it was her lie... Um, so Paula said that Samantha had to be reasoned with and she took her away and that was that. So now we cut to court and we have the sexy lawyer Ashton and old lady Haggerty in a row and Jessica's on the stand describing the empty room with the bucket they put Samantha in, how she never saw her again and how she didn't know that she was dead until the cops busted in a week ago. Um, now the cross-examination is rough, you know. Obviously the defense attorney is going to go for her. I really like... um. Halloween Town's headband in this. So the defense attorney does her job and goes, there wasn't a lock on the door. You could have left and you believed about the cloning. So you're dumb. So what could we even trust you? You're someone that believed in cloning. And she goes, since you did believe in all this cloning and you thought this was real and you were mad at Samantha and you did believe that Samantha deserved to be punished. So like, you thought this would happen. And she goes, yeah, I didn't think she was going to be killed. Like, there's a difference (laughs) between a little punishment and full-on disgusting cockroach bite death. Um, So they keep grilling her. She's crying. She's giving a performance of a lifetime. She is very much killing it in her little sweater set. Now Nerd Boy takes the court and talks about how close he is to cloning humans. Uh, But Cabot brings up Dolly the Sheep, iconic. That's a perfect Snatch Game. I hope someone does Snatch Game as Dolly the Sheep. I think that would be really good. Um, But Dolly... uh, But they talk like Dolly Parton a little bit. Okay, I see where you're going. I see where you're going. (laughs) All of a sudden, you said Dolly Parton, and I just got an urge for grilled cheese that took over my life like I was fucking pregnant. Like, I I just bled, so I know I'm not, but (laughs) I want grilled cheese right now. But, like, burnt a little, like, bubbly cheese. Why does Dolly bring you that thought? I don't know. Life is weird. Our brains are bad. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you saw a picture of Dolly eating a grilled cheese one time or something. No, it's truly psychotic. I'm unhinged. I'm losing it. This episode is driving me to the end. I like cannot do it. I cannot. You only have another page. I can't do this. You can do it. There's still eight more sets. Like that's the thing. You think we're in court and it's done and it's not. Like we're still going to go back to visiting people in jail. I'm just like, I I just am like, I I know there's more twists. There's more fucking (laughs) twists. So, you know, this guy's basically the Wizard of Oz. Like, why are you promising cloned babies to grieving parents if there are no cloned babies? And you're using your own sperm. And you're taking their money. Like, how do you not see what you're doing as a crime? I'm, like, fucking livid right now. Um, And he said the girls consented. And it's like, yeah, they consented, but to clone babies, not your sperm babies. And Cabot did okay. Not her best work. I'm going to say this was not her greatest, you know, cross-examination that I've ever seen. The defense redirects and asks, have you ever even stepped foot into that school? 
No. So now they're starting to turn everything on Paula and how Paula does everything and that Lang is never even there. So they're throwing Paula under the bus and that's not good. So now Cabot's doing good girl, good girl stuff. They're back in the jail. Um, Paula's in jail grays, but also wearing a white turtleneck. I wonder how she negotiated <laughs> turtleneck wearing. Um <laughs> But Cabot is trying to help her, saying you need a different lawyer. Langham is here, um, and this is Peter Herman, who is obviously Marishka's husband, okay? He's like, they hate him in the beginning because he's a defense attorney, but he's always there to help, and he's kind of their go-to call when anyone needs help um, with people they love or within their personal lives. So he's a good guy, and he's here going, hey, like the squad's trying to help. I'm trying to help. We're trying to help you because they're, they're, you know, you're going to martyr yourself for him. And she says, he gave me something that I lost and I will never turn my back on him. And Cabot knows the scoop and goes, your daughter named Carrie. So she's a missing person from 1975. She ran away. And um, Paula never saw her daughter again. And that's why she wanted to work with teenage girls and give them a home. And um, she wanted to help these teens uh, and also like bring to life dead children. Like she wanted to do it all. And she goes, and those parents should have treated their daughters better. Like fuck them. And Cabot goes, yeah, because you were a bad mom, right? And she starts to cry. Tears well up. And she goes, Carrie was young when my husband left and I didn't handle it well. And they fought all the time. And then one day her daughter was gone with the note that said, I have to leave because I have to go find a mother. And she puts her hand to her mouth and she's crying. And this is so sad. And then they bring in a surprise visitor. Not only is this woman getting turtlenecks, but she's getting tons of visitors. Everyone wants to help Paula Haggerty, even though she did help kill Samantha. I don't know why we're pretending suddenly that like we like this woman. Um, but uh, Jessica runs in and she goes, I love my parents, but I still love you. And they hug and embrace. And I did write, I love this, even though I'm turning my back on Paula Haggerty. Um, now Maloney appears and Maloney goes, he manipulated your pain and now you must stop him. These girls love and trust you and you're the only one to stop him. Cool lingo, LFG. Let's fucking go. If you know about Urban Dictionary, I learned that. Um, and she touched just Jessica face. It's sweet. And now we're back to court. Haggerty's on the stand and she's talking about how Kondarski found the girls at the learning centers. And then that's where the indoctrination would begin. And then they were um, brought, like they were basically told to leave and go to New York on their own to avoid kidnapping charges. But Marcy gave them money and a fake ID if they needed a plane ride. So, but you know, some smart stuff to avoid kidnapping charges. I'm impressed. And then when the girls arrived, Paula would act like their mother, a teacher, a nurse, um, and give them hormone injections. Eee, not good. Not good. Um, and right now she's wearing a pretty pink turtleneck and I like it. She's turning looks on the stand. Um, <laughs> really making a big statement for turtlenecks. And, and then she says, listen, I reasoned with Samantha. I put her in the basement, which is like how we indoctrinate and was ordered by Dr. Ashton Lang and to not give her water or food to reprogram her. And, um, you know, the sixth night she went in and Haggerty kind of cracked because, so, um, Samantha could, wasn't moving. And so she wanted to give her some water. And Dr. Lang came in. He would come in at night. So he's saying he never stepped step foot into the brownstone. But actually, when the girls went yeah. to bed every night, he would come in and do fucked up shit to her. And when Paula tried to give her water, Dr. Lang took it away and said, absolutely not. And Samantha died in fucking Paula's arms because he didn't want to get caught. And it's fucked up. And she was dirty. And that's how, and like, so she tried to wipe her face and fix her hair. And like, that is all Paula stuff. And the acting is insane. This is like such a professional actress and um, composed crying in character, so masterful. Um, and the doctor looks pissed, like a how dare you betray me look. And um, then they both carried her to the car to leave. And 
he told her, like, go put her somewhere so it looks like she was homeless. And she did do it. She made her as comfortable as possible, but she is part of it. And I hope she serves some jail time. I hope she doesn't go free. Like, maybe a reduced sentence, but like, I'm not on her side. Um, And then the doctor stands up and says, why are you doing this? Why are you betraying me? And Petrovsky, of course, not happy with it. Judge Petrovsky does not like it. And she goes and out of order. And then the psycho asses goes, the line of the century, this whole trial is out of order. Um, (laughs) And then Benson and Stabler stand watching as everything happens. And Benson has the largest collared shirt I've ever seen in my life. Like you can go hang gliding with these collars. (laughs) Jump off the fucking Grand Canyon. They like giant collars and you know he's being pulled away while talking about the future of science and cloning and future and that's that and we're done and I'm fucking done here are our sponsors Okay. Thank you, Lise. I never got to thank you for all the hard work you did recapping before we went to break. Uh, That was an intense, long episode with a lot of twists, and you did a a great job Sherpa-ing us through all of that nonsense with cloning. Um, Now, this is going to be sort of a potpourri of cases because this episode's listed all over the internet as having several different inspirations of crimes and people and situations, so I'm going to just do sort of quick recaps of all of them. Um, So the first one... I think that's pretty similar is the case of Lisa McPherson. Now, um, Lisa McPherson was a 36-year-old woman who died in 1994 in the care of the Church of Scientology. I am nervous to even talk about the Church of Scientology on this podcast. I feel like I I am obsessed with Scientology. I've read the book. I've watched the Leah Remini, I've watched the doc on HBO. Like, I'm obsessed. But when I talk about it in LA, I'm like an old lady talking about cancer. I'm like, did you know Scientology? <laughs> like, I'm very, like, I can't... I always think someone behind me in a store is going to hear me talking shit about Scientology and, like, ruin my chances of ever, like, working in this town again. Like, it's it's crazy. I'm being... I'm mostly joking, but they do have, you know, very retaliatory ways. Anyway, the case of Lisa McPherson is a real blight on the history of the Church of Scientology. Her case is extremely sketchy, as is so much with Scientology. Um, This is a woman who was allegedly going through some mental health issues, and then she got into a minor car accident. And right after the car accident, she had some erratic behavior. Like, she started to take her clothes off, and they were like, let's bring her in for some psychiatric testing. Like, the ambulance people at the scene and everything. And then um, she later said that the reason she took her clothes off was because she wanted to get evaluated for um, psych testing. And then we all know that psychology and not psychology, but psychiatry is like a full no-no in Scientology. So she was like immediately checked out by fellow Scientologists and she was taken to Fort Harrison Hotel, also known as Flag Land Base, where she was cared for by members of the church's flag service organization, also called FSO. I don't know. I I can't get into all of the, like, levels of Scientology on this. It would take forever. So, according to Scientology, she was brought to Fort Harrison Hotel for, quote-unquote, rest and relaxation, but others claim that she was brought there for an introspection rundown, which I think is, like, their versions of, like, psychiatric testing where that, you know... So, she tried to get a psychiatric exam, and somehow the Scientologist found out she was being held and went and grabbed her and took her out. 
Yeah, and when they took her out, she was like, yeah, 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 I don't want that. I don't want any psychiatry. Like, I think once she was confronted with members of the church, she was like, I don't want this, and and left of her own accord. Yeah, wow. So she was at this hotel um, under, and this is in Clearwater, Florida, which is like a huge um, Scientology. It's like their their main base. And, I thought um, LA is the main base. No, LA is like big for the soci- for the um, celebrity center and like a big recruiting center and where they do all of their like propaganda. Like they have movie studios here. But Clearwater, Florida has always been like where the main shit is. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because this castle, this lavender castle is huge. I oh, I mean. this was the place to be. They have like our land barons, the Church of Scientology. Like they have so much property. And in Los Angeles, they have like expensive ass property. Like, I mean, we could do a whole nother fucking episode on Scientology, but maybe for a future Patreon um, that doesn't exist. (laughs) So um, according to uh, the Scientologist, she was under 24-7 watch. Her status was logged. There were all these care logs for her. And they say that she was incoherent and sometimes violent, that her nails, they cut her nails so that she wouldn't scratch herself, that she had bruised fists and feet while she was hitting a wall. One church person said that she looked like she had measles, like she looked like she had measles or chicken pox on her face. So this woman was not well and should not have been being cared for by like, a religious organization. Um, she refused food. It's a little bit different from the story of Samantha. Obviously, Samantha is refusing food, but it's um, she is refusing food according to them, though. Who knows? Maybe that's not what's happening. They said she was refusing protein shakes and that they would attempt to force feed her, but she would spit it out. And um, it was noted that she was very weak and not standing up or some days moving at all. So this is like similar to what's happening to Samantha. And what I read was that some Scientologists who questioned this were basically told to like mind their own fucking business, obviously. Um, so when they saw that she was doing really badly, this Scientology doctor named Minkoff was called and he insisted that he see McPherson, even though he was 45 minutes away from Clearwater. Uh, So they start taking her to Minkoff's hospital and Janice Johnson, who is a medical officer at the Fort Harrison Hotel, who was assigned to McPherson, she said that the whole ride, Lisa is gasping and having labored breathing and they passed four fucking hospitals on the way to this other guy's hospital, but they had to go to the Scientology hospital. And when they got there, she had no vital signs. She was essentially dead when they got to his hospital. So they attempted to resuscitate her for 20 minutes and then they declared her dead. So um, with a similar situation to what happened in the episode, she had basically gone five to 10 days without fluid. She was underweight and she had cockroach bites all over her body and was comatose for 24 to 48 hours before she died is what reports later said. The first coroner's report listed her cause of death as undetermined, but the church told her family she had died of meningitis and a blood clot. Then, Lisa, you'll you'll love slash hate this, Scientology brought in their own pathologists, including Dr. Michael Baden. And he concluded that she had died suddenly and unpredictably of a blood clot in her left lung that had originated from a knee bruise she suffered in a minor car accident 17 days earlier. I don't buy Wait, that. Wait, I have I a giant believe- bruise on my knee right now, so this is stressing me out. Listen, are you moving? Are you sitting up right now? You, If you have a bruise and you stay 
sedentary, I think that can become a clot or some, or an embolism that moves okay. up into your body and hurts you. Sorry this to make woman, it about me, but... No, it's okay. The problem was this woman was like Samantha. She was either tied down or so weak that she couldn't move. It also so, makes me feel better that the... Not actually, the, not at all. But the fact that... Like, that it the cockroach thing happened and they took it from this case is better to me than that people are so unhinged that the writing came up with it. Like I to know. come up with sedentary cockroach bites fictionally is more fucked up than taking it from real life, even though I wish it never happened or has been uttered, of course, you know? Of course, I know, but I hear what you're saying. So then, then essentially there was a second coroner's report that went along with all this. Like, I like to think Dr. Michael Batten is like unimpeachable, but I just think Scientology has so much power and so much money. Like, how could this woman's uh, like condition not be, how could it just be this embolism and not related to the fact that she wasn't drinking or eating? I guess it's possible she refused all that stuff herself, but... But she also wasn't... She was just trying to go to the psychiatrist. She wasn't trying to go against the church. Or was that such a big... You're really not allowed to do that. But she was having a mental health episode. So I'm sure she just wanted, like, some kind of help. And the Church of Scientology is like, we know how to get... We know how to do this. That's and they awful. think that they were giving her, like, introspection rundowns and probably trying to make her, you know, just, like, talk it out. But, like, there comes a point where talk therapy is obviously not enough. So that is, I think, who a lot of the Samantha Tassler was based on. Dr. Garrett Lang, or Dr. Ashton Lang, as we've been calling him in this episode, Baby Ashton, um, he is based on a couple of different things, we think. So the Rileyan cult is um, a, it's wild. It's called an international UFO religion. So it's founded by a, a guy who calls himself Rael, um, whose name is Claude Vorilhan, and he's, a, I think, a French man, the founder and current leader of the Rileyan movement. So the dogma behind the Rileyan movement, or the Rileyan cult, as it's called, is that there is no God, only Elohim, and Elohim, which sounds like a Hebrew word to me, is a group of extraterrestrial scientists who intelligently designed the human race. So they think there's all these little aliens in the sky that made us, made the earth and, and the human race how we are. Um, the Rileyan human cloning organization is called CloneAid. And in 2002, Rileyans, I'm, I'm saying, I'm probably saying it wrong. Rileyans, Rileyans. Oh, are the Rileyans going to come after us? Yeah, I know. I yeah, know. say something. I bitch. was reading it all. I was reading on the internet. They have between fifty thousand and a hundred thousand followers worldwide. So Whoa. they're not huge, but we could have a Rielian listener. We'll see. That's um, wild. But in, this is honestly, I have the biggest smile on my face. This is the funniest thing we've ever covered. Like I do love this <laughs> UFO cult a lot. I hope they. I mean, maybe they do bad things. I mean, I don't know, but I love the idea of them. Well, he in in two thousand two, the Rielians claimed that they had cloned the first human baby named Eve. Uh, and that caused an international media stir. Obviously, it was not real. Ryle believes that humanity is slowly transitioning into a society where humans will not need to work or have jobs. Ooh, because, love that. Yeah, yeah. I thought maybe you would like that, actually. <laughs> um, he wrote a book in 2001 called Yes to Human Cloning. He thought that we could do, like, human genetic engineering to avoid and, like, get rid of genetically inherited diseases, which I'm sure... People are researching constantly, but there aren't like aliens in the sky that are going to help you with doing that. And so, um, no matter how hard we wish there were, yeah, 
And apparently, uh, in general, Rileyanism is widely mocked and thought to be pretty Looney Tunes, like, on the internet and across the board, like, where people are, even, like, religious scholars are like, okay. Like, I mean, it's a UFO religion, like, so... A little yeah, wild. but how is Scientology any more grounded in anything real than oh, of UFOs? Course. You know, no, Scientology has a lot of the same. I mean, when I make fun of Scientology to my husband, he goes, Yeah, but how is that different from Judaism or Christianity or a lot of religions? And I'm like, Well, my problem with with uh Scientology is how they take all of your money and they um ex- excommunicate you from your family, like how you just have to like ditch your family if they like, you can be Catholic and be married to a Jew. You know what I mean? Like, no religion cares about that, really. Like, Scientology cares deeply. I mean, I know Jews prefer Jews marry other Jews, but, you know, here I am married to a Pentecostal. Anyway, um, the second man that little Ashton baby is related to is, or is inspired by, is this do- a former doctor named Cecil Jacobson, who was a fertility doctor who used his own sperm to impregnate patients without informing them. Um, a wild thing about him is that he was credited with being one of the first doctors in the United States to introduce amniocentesis, which is like currently used. I think I had an amnio on the, my last baby. Um, it's That's the test where, um, you know, the baby is in a sack surrounded with fluid and the amniocentesis kind of just like pulls some of that fluid out to just test it for birth defects. Um, it's controversial. A lot of people don't do it. I did not do it for Rosie because I was told I didn't really need to um, because it can cause a miscarriage or a problem with the baby. So not everybody does amniocentesis and I totally um, get that, but it's a way to test for specific diseases. Uh, What this guy would do is he would inject patients with HCG, which is human chorionic gonadotropin. Gonadotropin? Okay. Before and after. He would do it before they conceived. And then this is basically the hormone that is common in pregnancy. This is what a pregnancy test is testing for. And it's also used in fertility treatments as well. So the pregnancies would progress normally and then they would take pregnancy tests and be positive and the patient's bodies would begin to feel changes. And then he'd perform an ultrasound and he'd be like, oh, here's the fetus in this grainy image. And then around the third month, he would tell them, oh, your fetus has died. And these patients were never really pregnant. Their body was changing in reaction to the HCG he was giving them. Like, And of course, the posit- pre- pregnancy tests were positive because those tests are looking for HCG and that's what he's injecting them with. So in 1989, some suspicious former patients told a local television station about this guy and they started investigating him and then he got sued by multiple patients. And then during the court, and this was for the whole, this was for the whole like, sort of fake pregnancy scam, not even for his own sperm yet. It was in that investigation that that came to light. They noticed that some patients had been arranged to be artificially inseminated with donor sperm, and it was all anonymous. Only Jacobson would know who these people were, these these donors, and uh, like to preserve their anonymity, he said. And then the investigation found that there was no donor program. It did not exist. And some of Jacobson's patients who had been conceived through donor insemination agreed to have their, you know, genes tested and their babies tested. And at least seven instances they found where Jacobson was the father of the children, including one patient who was supposed to have been inseminated with her husband's sperm. She wasn't there to get donor sperm. She was there to get her husband's sperm. So fucked up. 
So more DNA tests linked him to at least 15 children, and it has been suspected that he fathered as many as 75 children with his own sperm. So I don't understand how... So some of the parents were lied to with grainy images and hormone therapy, and it was like, haha, we took your money. And then some of the people fully were given his sperm and had babies. I think maybe that's how it progressed. Like, maybe he started out the first way, and then he started being like, wow, these people really, like... Uh, he when you when he gives his side of it, he thinks he did nothing wrong. He was like, they wanted babies, they were having trouble. I gave them babies. When he you ask him about what happened with these fake pregnancy things, he's like, no, I thought they were pregnant. It's like, you know how the science works. Like you can see on a on a ultrasound if that's a fetus. And they later said that the fetuses that he would show were fecal matter or other organs. Like, he'd be like, there it is. And I'm, I'll am i tell you something. I've seen two of my babies up on those screens. I cannot see shit. Like, people go, there's the arm. Do you see the spine? I go, nope, I don't see any of it. Like, my eyes cannot adjust to those fucking images. I, like, could not, until the baby's, like, eight months old, and it's like, okay, there's the head, whatever. I could not see any of those little swirls of a baby. So I could see why people would be like, oh, yep, that's our little angel. And it's just not, it's a swirl on a, ultrasound. So pretty fucked up. A federal jury convicted him on 52 counts of fraud and perjury for artificially inseminating patients um, without their knowledge and for telling them they were pregnant when they were not. And when I read an article from when he was found guilty but not sentenced, they said he could be sentenced to up to 280 years in prison and fined up to $500,000. But of course, he got five years. Um... That's the end of that. This guy got five years, and I think that's pretty nuts. And he, of course, uh, moved to Utah after that. And he lost his medical license, so he's obviously not practicing medicine any longer and is probably on a do-not-practice list in every state, I hope. I wonder what he's doing in Utah. I, I heard he was doing agricultural research or something <laughs> like that. There was something that I read about that, but it was not related to But I wonder if someone like that becomes like the John Stamos character and becomes a reproductive abuser in their personal life when they can't do it professionally. He had eight, I think he had eight children with his actual wife. So. Yeah, I bet he's still doing some illegal nefarious shit. Yeah. The final case that I was going to talk about today so a, a lot of what I found on the internet said that this episode was linked to the kidnapping of Elizabeth Smart. And I do get the timing of that because she was found in 2003. That's when this episode came out. Like, that's undeniable. It seems to me that the only similarity was just them finding Jessica and being like, wait, we know her. She's that missing girl. That kind of seems like the only similarity because it's really, they're really not that linked otherwise, but I'm going to just tell you about Elizabeth Smart anyway, just because it's interesting and there are no other SVU episodes based on Elizabeth Smart. So I'm going to talk about this uh, real quick with you this now. This is a jam-packed episode. Four, four stories. Thank four you. Four little stories, but I'm trying to keep them short so it's not like too, too crazy. And the honestly, the Elizabeth Smart case, I think was so publicized because she was this like beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl that went missing and... But it wasn't like, um, there's just not as much information. It's a pr it's pretty cut and dry is all I'm saying. Like, so essentially, Elizabeth Smart was 14 years old when she was sleeping in bed in a room she shared with her little sister. Uh, she was kidnapped at Knife Point. This is in Salt Lake City. And this was in June of 2002. So her kidnapper was Brian David Mitchell and his wife, Wanda Barzi. And they held Elizabeth for nine months. I think... 
in on my mind, she was being, she was held for years, but she was, I think I'm thinking of JC Duggard who was held for 18 years. This girl was held for nine months. JC um, is 18 years. 18. She was taken when she was like 11. And I believe she was found when she was like 30. Oh my God. Yeah. Something like that. <sighs> yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he went into her room. He took her at knife point. The sister did wake up but pretended to be asleep. And then the sister tried to actually come out and tell the parents, but when she opened the door, she saw the kidnapper and her sister in the hallway. So she went back into her bed for like two hours, terrified, and then finally went out and told her parents what happened. Um, Brian David Mitchell, the guy who kidnapped her, also went by Emmanuel, because obviously he's a religious nut. And... Um, he claimed to be a religious preacher and he held Elizabeth at a camp in the woods with his wife where he repeatedly raped her, starved her, forced her to drink alcohol and watch pornography. And basically, as soon as she got there, he quote unquote married her in a ceremony performed by his wife. So uh, she recognized Mitchell as Emmanuel, because he was a panhandler her mother had given money to and had offered him to come to their house and work on their roof, help work on their roof. So an act of kindness from Elizabeth Smart's mother turned into this nightmare where her daughter was kidnapped by this man. Uh, during her captivity, she was forced to take on a new name, and she chose Esther from the Old Testament, uh, my grandmother's name, and also we know Book of Esther, very religious name. Um, she would accompany Mitchell and Barzi in public on various occasions. And she would be head to toe in white robes. Like there are photos that came out later where she went unrecognized because she was wearing a veil. She was wearing full garb. Like no one recognized her. Um, about six weeks after her abduction, I never knew about this, Mitchell and Barzi actually tried to kidnap Elizabeth's cousin to make her an additional bride. And they didn't succeed, but the family did find a cutout screen. How so, did they know about the cousin? He knew, he must have known this family because he was there for a few months working on their roof. So he probably saw Elizabeth one time, then saw the other, for another girl who was like around the same age. And he's looking for brides. He's looking for young brides, you know? But not so the I don't sister. Know. It's weird. Yeah, well, the sister was only, like, nine. Maybe, like, you know what I mean? Maybe that was Got too young it. for him. Like, maybe he wanted them to have his babies. And if you're not menstruating yet, like, I don't know, you know? Like, I really don't know. But he wanted um, this specific age bride. And I think, yeah, I think Elizabeth had other siblings, but he went after her specifically. So, um there was one week in her captivity where Mitchell went to jail and her and, Bar and Elizabeth Smart and Barzi just went a week without food and were like, like so weak they could barely walk to the bucket that they used like as a toilet. So things were not good out in the woods. Then three months after her abduction, the little sister suddenly remembers the roofer who had worked on their house and is like, that's the voice I heard. Like when she heard the voice in the bedroom, she knew it was familiar, but she couldn't place it. So three months later, she has this memory and remembers the roofer and, you know, obviously tells the parents and tells the, fam the family, the smart family, and they go to the police. And the smart family had to fight with the police to release the sketch of Emmanuel. And the police like tried to downplay like the sketch, like, oh, it's not going to find him, whatever. It found him. Like, the family knew. Uh, Mitchell's stepson saw the sketch of him on America's Most Wanted and identified him. So then 
now they're looking for him. So now they're trying to find him. Meanwhile, Mitchell has maybe trying to move the family, the quote, the family to another city like New York or Boston. But Elizabeth Smart, like very smartly uh, revealed like, oh, she goes, I think God wants us to go back to Salt Lake City. Because at this point, he kept her for a long time basically 20 miles from her family's house, which is so nuts, like so close in the woods. And then they moved to San Diego and they were there for a little while. And then Elizabeth somehow convinced him to go back to Salt Lake City, which is great because probably more people know who she is out there, like can identify, you know. So he agrees with her. Yes, God probably does want that. And they hitchhike back to Utah. Then in March of 2003, she... And her captors are walking the streets of Sandy, Utah, which is just a few miles from Salt Lake City. And somebody recognizes that her and calls the police. And at first she's like, no, no. Maybe that's a little bit too what the what the um, episode is connected by because these girls are not there. She kind of, uh, Jessica sort of denied her identity and then pretty quickly was like, I don't want to go home, you know? But Elizabeth Smart wasn't positive that this whole ordeal was over. You know, she's so traumatized. Like, she doesn't know. So she's, like, probably telling them her fake name and all this stuff. And so I think her name was Augustine was another name that they gave her when they were in public. So I think she was reverting to that. And then eventually taken to the police station, joyfully reunited with her family, and it's a happy ending. I mean, to a, to a point. She gets, she's not dead, which I think is after most, with the statistics about most abductions, is a good good ending. Um, Wanda Barzi, the wife, was sentenced to 15 years in federal prison, which I don't know if that's enough, um, for her role in the kidnapping, because Elizabeth Smart says that she's one of the most evil women she's ever met in her life. So she, I don't know that she was just like a brainwashed, like, I'm just doing what what my master tells me. Um, but she got early release and was released in 2018. Um, and then with Mitchell getting his uh, prison sentence and conviction, it was difficult because there was a lot of back and forth about his fitness to stand trial, whether he was going to be ruled competent or, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes. So uh, Mitchell was diagnosed by forensic psychologists as having antisocial and narcissistic personality disorder. Um, and the disputes over his competence lasted eight years. And then in 2010, because she was found in 2003, in 2010, finally, he was uh, deemed mentally capable and he was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in 2011. And you know what's what's crazy is right after she was found, not right after, but, you know, within a couple of years, she did her first interview with Katie Couric. I cannot find it anywhere. There's a transcript of it, but there's no video. Like, I can't find the video. I don't know if NBC took it down or what, but, like, I could not find the video of the interview. And apparently it was a kind of a softball interview. Like, how are you? What are you looking forward to doing again now that you're back? Like, she did not get into the nitty-gritty of what happened to her while she was in captivity. And then actually, Nancy Grace had her on to talk about Adam's Law, which is Adam Walsh, you know, the son of the guy who does America's Most Wanted, who was killed. There was uh, a law that I think, I think George W. But yeah, George W. Bush was signing in that she was went on Nancy Grace to support the law and talk about it. And she had asked for privacy. She said she didn't want to talk about anything. And Nancy Grace still asked her questions because Nancy Grace is that bitch, and just asked her all this stuff. And she just had to go, you know, um. 
I'm actually not here to talk about what happened to me. I'm here to support the bill and blah, blah, blah. And, you know. She shut down Nancy Grace in that interview, I would say, three to four times. And Nancy was relentless and would not stop. Like, I don't understand how you're this disrespectful of a young woman that, like, escaped such terror. Because it was her just being like, I've told you to stop. Like, she finally had to be like, what are you doing? Yeah. I don't want to talk about what happened to me. Because they were like, you were just walking on the... Oh, I remember Nancy Grace going, so were you scared? And her going, yeah. What, what, what a are dumb you question. doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, she is uh, now like a very accomplished um, advocate for missing people and victims of sexual assault. She's an author. I watched... I did watch an interview with her and... Um, Anderson Cooper, but it's from 2013. So it's like 10 years after the fact. She's older. She's more composed. She can talk about what happened to her. And it was when she decided to write her book. And she was obviously saying, like, people disclose to me constantly. Like, people come up to me and just say, my dad tried to sell me so that he could pay mortgage on the house. Like, all kinds of horrible people. And so she wanted to write a book. And she wants to be outspoken so that she can just show people that like life can move on after you have a tragic, like a trauma like this in your life and you can, it doesn't have to define you. Um, And famously, she was most recently on The Masked Dancer as Miss Moth. Wow. She went on The Masked Dancer and I read this interview with her where she was like, they were like, what, this isn't really something you've ever done before. And she was kind of like, you know, when I got offered this, I thought I couldn't believe it. And then I, my grandma had just passed away and I sort of thought about her life and she had done a lot of serious things, but she had done a lot of fun things. And I kind of looked at my own life and I felt like my life has been very serious and very heavy, especially because she's now dedicated her life to this kind of, you know, uh, work, which has got to be pretty heavy sometimes, especially with your own story. And she was like, I just kind of want to do something fun and like let a little bit more light into my life. And so she went on The Masked Dancer. Which I kind of love. At first, when I heard that, I was like, TV has hit a new low. But now that I hear her side, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And that's like cute. Yeah, why not let someone dance on TV in an outfit? Yeah, and get her face out to more people that can learn about her work and her story. You know what I mean? Like, it's so fucked. This is so yeah. fucked. Thank you, Kara. For so that's the combination sense. of my mixed bag of uh, crimes today. Yeah, we got a lot of scoop. Thank you so much. Hang on for our interview, guys. It's going to be a good one. All right, everybody. Today's guest, if you were a kid in the 90s, there's a really good chance that you know and are obsessed with today's guest. She's a Disney Channel original movie icon, known for her roles in the first three Halloween Town movie and Quince. And she also has appeared in tons of staple soaps like Guiding Light and General Hospital, but you guys know her today as Jessica Morse, and we're so excited to share our convo with Kimberly J. Brown. Yeah, it's it's an iconic one. The woman who plays like the teacher, the main, why am I forgetting her name? It's Barbara just so, Barry. Barbara Barry. Yeah, because yeah. you know with SVU when you're someone like us that watches constantly, you're like, wait, I know this episode. What? Wait, which one is it? And then you see her and you're like, oh yes, this is uh, <laughs> insemination cult. Um, <laughs> so how does it feel to be in a cult episode? Were you a fan beforehand? How was audition? Like the beginnings of the episode. I honestly, I don't think I had seen a full episode before I did the show. Um, But after I did the show, I have seen probably, uh, you know, a hundred at least now, like it completely sucked me in. 
And I uh, was very uh, generously offered the role, which doesn't have, you know, is, is a very cool thing when it does happen in, in your career. So I didn't have a full audition process, but um, I was excited to do one of the, you know, they were calling it, you know, the ripped from the headlines episode, sort of um, mirroring the whole Elizabeth Smart case. And so I was excited to just have it kind of, I don't know, it, it, those episodes seem like they, um, you know, they, they kind of took some aspects of real life and then did their own twist on them. And uh, so I, I was excited to be a part of, of that kind of uh, storyline. Did you do research on cults, brainwashing, kidnapping, Elizabeth <laughs> Smart? Did you prep in any sort of way to play someone that's been brainwashed? I was familiar with the Elizabeth Smart story and kind of looked it up again, but I didn't want to get too heavy into her story because I knew they were also doing their own thing with it. Um, and, and other than that, I did not, I, I can't say I looked up brainwashing now, but it was. Uh... <laughs> While we were planning questions, I looked at Kara and was like, did you research cults? And she started answering it. Um, and I was like, not you, we're going to ask. But <laughs> I guess no one's researching cults. I started to be I'm like, okay well, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of research on right. cults. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are, so you looking at you, our listeners can't see you, but you have dark hair. You are a blonde in this episode. Or is that yes. a wig? Were you, did you used to be a blonde? Did they make you dye your hair? What's the story? I went through a blonde. Actually, I don't want to, I was going to say a blonde phase, but it wasn't, it, I think it was after I did a movie called Bringing Down the House where I played Steve Martin and Gene Smart's daughter. And so wow. they had lightened my hair for that movie. And so I kind of kept it up for, I think, a couple years after doing that movie. So this was still when I was keeping up the blonde. And they loved that because they asked for some old photos of me, you know, to use throughout the episode. And a lot of the stuff that I had was me and my naturally dark hair. So they that was kind of they just loved that aspect that it was we got to kind of use the different hair color as far as, yeah. um, you know, towards the the whole disappearance and everything in the episode. Yeah. Wow. The change of personality and hair color. Exactly. Well, hair. Um, <laughs> to go into the makeup hair wardrobe world, you had great outerwear. I don't know if this is too specific of a question for something that happened 12 years ago, but... <laughs> 12. Possibly. Like Let's try. Let's it's give it a shot. You just yeah. have such good pea coats <laughs> and there was like a suede tan... Um, collar jacket. Do you remember working with wardrobe or the, you know, the infinity necklace is pretty iconic. I did love <laughs> that necklace. I, I remember them being very specific, obviously about the necklace, but about her wearing things that didn't either didn't quite fit or, you know, were a little bit not along the lines of, you know, what teens in that age range were wearing that day. And they did want to kind of set her apart um, with the clothing. And I do remember that coat. Um, I remember loving that coat because it was cold in New York city when we were filming and I had to do, you know, walking down the street of the, the brownstones and like, just, yeah, loving the, loving that coat. I should have tried to take it home, but yes, I tried with the other one, the coat that I wore in the backyard scene with Chris Maloney like that. Um, I I think it was somebody, I don't remember, but I, yeah, I, I made an attempt to buy that coat off of them. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Maloney, you have a lot of intense moments with him in this episode. Did you guys connect or, I mean, what's, uh, was it hard to focus? Cause he's so hot or like, what? <laughs> he was fantastic. I mean, everybody in the whole cast was, but it, it was fun to kind of play off of that. He has such a, an, an intense energy when he's playing 
Stabler. And I think um, it was fun to, I definitely used that in the role, but I, I just loved how he was so intense, but then also just brought that warmth in to really, you know, kind of make anybody he was questioning his friend in that moment. And so it was a nice dynamic to kind of play off of because I was so, uh, you know, not experienced with, with talking to people like him for years. And I kind of, I used that, that dynamic a lot, but he was, um, he was just so great to work with. That's nice to hear. We've mostly hear that about him, but everybody usually gushes about Marishka. Any, any, sure. I, and I will <laughs> add to the gushing. Um, <laughs> she was so kind and, um, just, I didn't, she is sort of the epitome. I think of the, the kind of character, like I, I admire her in that role so much. Like that is the kind of role and character that I think would be so fun to play for years and years. Like it doesn't surprise me that the show is so successful and she just continues to kick ass in it because she's just, um, she's just a kick-ass person. But I, we did, um, we had somebody in common in the sense when I first met her that, um, her now uh, husband, Peter Herman, I think they, they hadn't quite gotten married at the time. But Peter and I worked together on um, a soap opera called Guiding Light years ago. It's not on the air anymore. Um, So yeah, so (laughs) I had seen that they were together, and I didn't I didn't realize initially that he was also in the episode. So we we kind of bonded over that initially. That I was like, well, tell him Mara says hi because he played the doctor that cloned my mother on the soap opera. We went into the whole (laughs) storyline. So um, and then later he we ended up, you know, actually seeing each other and working together. But um, that was cool. And she was I think I don't remember how many years later it was, but I actually sent her a note. I think it was through her website because I think it was before, you know, Instagram and all that. But um, just saying hi and, you know, how much fun I had working on the episode and all that and um, how I was then addicted to the show. And she wrote me back and said hi and, and just wrote me the sweetest note. And I think ended it with, um, you know, something like, be careful, you know, make sure you continue to go outside. Like, you know, don't stay in all the time. Like, you know, but it was, it, she's just very, um, very down to earth and, and fun like that. Did you sense their love connection on set? They were definitely, they're definitely very bonded and work together very well. And there's a, I really could tell there was such a collaborative um, just a collaborative sense among all of them in the, in the way that they worked with the producer and the director on set, but also, um, you know, the, the producers that weren't there and there was always like calls made to them and kind of discussing certain dialogue and things that were happening in the episode. And I thought it was really cool that they all had that camaraderie and sort of back and forth as, as far as like, kind of, you know, they, the actors were kind of, you know, able to, um, collaborate with what was going on in the episode. And I, I admired that. Hell yeah. You also got a courtroom scene. I did. Uh, how was that? A blast. Um, Cause they were like, well, we're on the, you know, this is the, this is the law and order set, you know? So th- there was a lot of care throughout all of the shooting and everything to, to not mess up anything that was, um, you know, preset in the way that that cast and, and crew and everything had everything set up. But as an actor, I have always, I love courtroom shows. I love like, and I've always wanted to play a lawyer, which I haven't yet. I've gotten very close. So for me, being able to be on the witness stand and be interrogated so hard was awesome. Um, it was like a little actors, like a, you know, one of those, like a bucket list things you want to do, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. and 
it was, it was also intense. Cause it's, you know, I had Stephanie March coming at me for a little while and then Lauren Elena Herring came at me who was so stern through the episode, but we, I think that was the first day we met and she just came at you. I think we had to do our stuff first. She came at me and, and then I don't know, I don't remember how it happened, but I ended up, one of us ended up cracking a joke and then we just, we clicked and we just ended up goofing around with each other for the rest of the time we were working together, which was so obviously the opposite of our characters. But um, I loved all of it. And I loved um, kind of just really soaking into that, um, you know, just the whole breakdown on the stand. It was kind of a, I didn't realize at the time, kind of like one of those classic moments. And it just, uh, and man, they they move that camera in right in on your face and they get yeah. right all in there, you know, and it, it comes across on screen. It's cool. Yeah. What kind of lawyer, defense, prosecution, good guy, slimy, bad. (laughs) I think, I think defense, I think, I think it's in uh, one of my other favorite roles uh, in shows ever is um, the good wife. And I watching Juliana Margulies, like that was just such an amazing role, but I think it's fun to kind of show the human side of, of that kind of job and who you're representing and all that kind of stuff to kind Mm. of show, you know, the, the behind the scenes aspect of what I imagine that life to be. I have, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seems terrible in real life. Seems it like seems a lot of paperwork. very stressful, very yeah. stressful. And I, there's no, absolutely no way I, I have way too much anxiety to be a lawyer, but it's, you know, it's so fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on TV, they wrap up the case in 15 minutes. It's sure. amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, how was working with Barbara Barry? We brought her up before. She's like, so she's worked since the fifties. I mean, you guys seem like you had a, and that scene at the end, like you seem very connected and. We were, she was so sweet. We had met, I think at the independent spirit awards a few years prior, I think she was we were both there. I think the year that I had won and she was nominated or something, I can't remember, but we, we talked about that and, and she just was such a warm, sweet lady. I mean, and, and I think it's evident in, in the role, but also, yeah, in that moment between us, like at the end, I think that was an important, just an important thing to show. And, oh gosh, yeah. She just would always just come up and hug me and, and hold my face in her hands. And it just, you know, it was so sweet. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. I love the nostalgia and everything's coming back and Halloween Town has made so many people happy for decades. Um, how does it feel to be in a hit cult classic holiday sensation? Yeah, moving from one cult to another. Sure. Yes. Classic. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, perfect segue there. Um, <laughs> it's incredible. It's It still blows my mind that the movies are still talked about and people watch them. And I, I mean, I get approached almost daily on the street of people uh, just being fans of the movies and sharing stories of what it meant to them growing up and how they show it to their kids now. And um, I have young nephews and my my friends, young kids that watch it now. And it's just amazing. It's, it's had a whole other life and I couldn't, couldn't be more honored, you know, as an actor, you just, you hope somebody sees something that you do. And, um, but the fact that it's been able to live on like this is just, it's amazing. Yeah. Just the Disney movies. I was, I was telling Kara, I was more of, I liked the Quince. That's the one that I was watching a lot. (laughs) I love Quince. I love the, I've never been able, I think to do a movie since then where you get to break the fourth wall like that and like talk to the camera and narrate the whole movie. 
that was just, it's rare. And that was um, just such a fun aspect of that. And I, and I loved all the babies and actually my brother, Dylan, uh, my real brother, Dylan is, uh, was one of the babies, like towards the end of the movie. He's, I love that. Yeah. He's he's in his early twenties now. So there's a little, (laughs) there's a little time perspective, but yeah, he, he's in the movie. And so it's a fun little, little personal touch. I was reading. They had to use like 20 babies for that movie. It's yeah. They had like babies can't work that long. (laughs) Yes. They can only work for like 15, 20 minutes at a time. And so, yeah, you would kind of, we would rehearse with dolls up until the final moment. And then they would bring in one group of babies. And then if one got upset, they would have to, it's a whole swap it out. (laughs) Baby wrangling is a real thing in the industry. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I did not know that there were so many babies and they could work for so little. I guess that's good. We can't like overwork these babies, but no, I mean, I I think, I think it's because they're so young too. like the industry as a whole. Like when I was a teenager growing up, like the, the state rules and everything of working, like you can only work a certain number of hours as kids too, until you're, until you're 18. And so it's, it's as a kid actor, it was always, I was wanted to stay on set longer and you have to uh, do three hours of school every day. So it's, it's always like a very, um, scheduled, you know, brought out, like it, it's, they have to do a lot to maintain, you know, a, a shooting date with kids. But with, that was my first time working with babies where it was like, oh, they have to go now. Oh, okay. That was, <laughs> they've only been here for 10 Hi, minutes. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what are you up to these days? I saw that you have a one and a half million followers on TikTok. What are you doing on there? I do. It's, it's crazy. What are, you, what are you, what's your content? I'm having fun, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to keep up with the cool kids. I do just a lot of, I guess comedy stuff, whatever kind of hits me is um, the things going on in my life that I, you know, wonder if other people go through too, but um, it, it's a lot of fun. I, I started it like a year or so ago and thought, okay, let's see what this is about. Like, you know, and, and it's uh, it just was astounding how it kind of took off. And now it's a, it's a great place to kind of, uh, you know, make something it enables me to be creative and do some comedy stuff. And I have an improv background too. So it's been fun to kind of try to create some things and talk to the fans. And I mean, talk about some, the nostalgic, like just that group of fans and everything. They are, they are amazingly loyal fans because they're all hanging out, just wanting to talk, you know, Disney a lot too, which is really (laughs) cool. (laughs) Do you have anybody that follows you with that? When they followed you, you were like, Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Oh, um, I was just asking another friend of mine this the other day because she got big on on Instagram doing these videos and stuff. And she's like, yeah, little John. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I have to say I saw um, I think it was little mass follow. No, mentioned Halloween Town this past year, tweeted about it. And that I mean, that kind of blew my brother's mind for sure. My brother, who's 22, was just like, (laughs) what? I think Titus Burgess followed me. Oh, I love him. I love him too. Yeah. <laughs> Kimmy Schmidt is just, he just was phenomenal yeah. on that. And I could listen to him sing the whole time. Um, I said hi to Kiki Palmer recently on Instagram and she wrote me just the sweetest comment and followed me. And it was just like, oh, like we hadn't seen each other in the longest time. Another um, SVU She's alum. an SVU girl. She is? Okay. There we go. She there was little. She was like a child. She was like a really little kid. It's cute. I mean, scary. There was, there's, she, you know, yeah, this SVU, but she was very cute. (laughs) Cool within the SVU realm. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) What did you guys work on together? 
We actually have never worked together. I, I I guess from, you know, we were both on Disney and then um, I stopped by a music video shoot that she was doing uh, with Mary J. Blige and Ludacris. I can't remember the name of the song. It was like Runaway Love, I think. One of those just random things that my, I stopped by to see my publicist at the time. And then she was, I didn't know she was in the video. And so she came out and was like, hey. And so it just, we've just kind of said hi over the years and um, oh, yeah. Wait, did you meet Ludacris? You really, yes. Uh, you swept right under another, that. Another SVU alum. I did not meet him then, but my, my I do have a Ludacris story. I was um, back in New York, actually working. I came back onto Guiding Light after I left right before it went off the air. And he was in the same studio um, doing some show. I don't know, but I got in the elevator to go to lunch and I ended up standing right in front of him in the elevator. And we had the same publicist at the, at the time. And so it was one of those things where I was like, Oh my God, do I do it? Do I say hi? Like, and I was like, Oh, if you don't say hi, like you're, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. So I said, hi, don't, you know, he didn't know who, you know, but, but he was very sweet and said hi. And then we both, you know, went off in our separate ways, but now I'm, it was one of those. No regrets. Like, okay, exactly. I was like, oh, no regrets. You got to say hi to Luda. You do. You do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and another thing I noticed that I got really excited about, um, I'm a huge Bugs Life girl. I actually have one of the characters' toys right there. But were you all the little girls, like, in the school? Yes. There was, like, a group of us that came in and, and voiced a lot of the Blueberry Ants, like, that that were all the various friends that Dot had. And it was Cute. the coolest experience because they hadn't finished animating, fully animating the movie yet. And uh, Andrew Stanton and John Lasseter were there, like the into- all the sessions, which I was impressed with because you never know, you know, who creatively and, you know, the, the big wigs within the company, if they're going to come and participate in every session. But they let us watch like sections of the movie, explained everything that was going on. We got to see some of some of the movie was still in like the sketch phase of like drawing and wasn't fully animated yet. So these different scenes would be pieces uh, of the movie. And it was really fun getting to see how those movies come together. And, and I'm a huge Pixar fan. So that was like, I was, you know, wow, tr- I was holding yeah. the fangirl in as, as, as hard, you know, as, as hard as I could. <laughs> and they're so cute. Do you have a drawing of the ants or a, did they give you toys? Do you have a memory of the ant or just I, in your heart? No, in my heart, <laughs> for sure. It will always stay in my heart. Yeah. They were sweet. They gave us, um, they signed us posters at the end of the, at the end of the sessions, but no, I, I, that would have been, that would have been pretty cool to, so you know, cute. Yeah. They're really cute. <laughs> they are. I love that movie too. Uh, do you have anything that you're working on right now that you want us to like plug? You're so sweet. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously on all the socials if people want to follow me and, uh, I have a Etsy shop called craftily creative that, um, has a bunch of, um, it, it, some like uh, graphic tees and some other fun stuff that are that's Halloween town inspired. It's kind of my love letter to the fans. And um, I think later this year, I'm uh, I guest starred in an episode of uh, an animated Disney show that's coming out soon too. So it's, I'm grateful just to still be creative in the business and, and getting yeah. to do my thing, you know, it's, yeah, and it's so sure. fun to get to talk through uh, fun memories like this of, of, uh, cool shows and stuff. And actually this morning, I think somebody might, the episode must've just aired of SVU because somebody tagged me in a, 
Um, oh, I was just, I was going to ask clip. you that too. Do you get that? Like every time your episode airs, someone's like, just saw you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I get DM'd, I get tweeted, all of that. And then somebody, sometimes they put up clips, which I think I, I reposted in my uh, Insta story, but it's, uh, yeah. And it was like, it was me and, and Christopher Baloney, like, and it, it's just, I hadn't seen it in a while. So it, it genuinely tickles me to, to get to go back and kind of, you know, relive, relive some of those moments. Oh man, she was fun. She was fun. And I love that she had opinions on her outerwear. You know what I mean? I love when I get to mesh on these little details with our amazing (laughs) guests. And uh, yeah, that was like really fun. I think a lot of our listeners and friends are, I know Mateo Lane will be excited and jealous. He, He will hit me up. Yeah. Um, I, for this week's postmortem, I don't know what we can say. Uh, your parents are bad, but they're not as bad as a cult that's going to try to impregnate you and leave you to get bitten by roaches. So maybe try to work it out. Um, also, come on, Miss Haggerty. Why'd you let Samantha die like that? I know. You know, cause it's like, we love her at the end, but it's like, um, no, you let this man control you. But like, maybe she was controlled. He manipulated her while she was in grief over her daughter, you know? It's like, yeah. Maybe he was like, I'll kick you out on the street and you won't be able to help any of these girls. And she was like, okay, one to save many. Who knows? You know, who knows what's going through an old lady's uh, mind in a cult. But um, yeah, you can't clone people. Like, I don't know how. Don't trust. Don't run. I don't know. I can't anymore. These Ashton Kutcher lookalikes that think they can change the world. But Ashton Um, and Mila, you saw them, their video. They're matching up to $3 million of donations to Ukraine. Oh, cause she is from that region, right? Yeah. 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 yeah that's awesome. A super babe. I uh, can't say the same for this fucking doctor loser. No. He's not a real person. But um, in terms of the Elizabeth Smart story, I feel like, yeah, like let's all just keep our eyes open and see in case you see any sketchy people in public. I mean, sh- there's nothing you can do to prevent what happened to Elizabeth Smart, I guess, besides like be aware of sketchy people in your life sketchy roofers working on your house i don't know i mean don't let anyone work or live or enter your home at any time that's <laughs> that's the only way to protect your children <laughs> that's only that's oh and this is something we didn't talk about but this is more worldly not for the episode but have you seen the posts about like kim kardashian and kanye and how like she's so rich and powerful and it's still hard for her to get away from like an abusive person and then still being stalked. And yet we're so blase when we tell people like, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you just yeah. leave? Why don't you yeah. leave? And it's like the one of the richest people in the world couldn't leave with the most yeah. security and the most protection. And that you're asking just like random teachers to like be able to escape yeah. easily. No, it's that's such a good point. Yeah, it's from like hard for control. everybody. I mean, yeah. Kim Kardashian has helped get people off death row and she can't get Kanye out of her fucking life. Like, it's yeah. nuts. And that and now there's all these, like, you know, like, he was controlling and he changed the way she dressed. And they're putting all these clips together from the show and how controlling he is. And even all of his girlfriends, he dresses all of them. That's not for me. <sighs> no, it's not for me, no. too. I also didn't know that the Kanye doc isn't made by him. He's not making money. These people that he fucked over had the footage, and they made all the money off of selling the footage for the doc. Oh, the genius thing? Yeah. Wow. Well, well not either here nor there. But this was a jam-packed, amazing episode. Yeah. You know the thing. Um, 
If you steal something and you're running away from the cops, don't turn around and shoot them. You're just going to make it worse. Um, just a note to all the skateboarders out there that are trying to steal shit and shoot cops. Also, I just hope that every missing person's picture I ever see, I can like photograph memory into my brain and then one day be like, oh, I know her. I saw her. I know. <laughs> I know. I wish I could be like these people. I used to think like, oh my God, I'm going to memorize Amber Alerts. And like, uh, you forget them the second you see them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, I can't. But anyway, I do think that we learn a lot about from people like Elizabeth Smart who don't completely like collapse. And even though that is completely your right if you go through something like this, but who, who use like their their experience and their trauma to sort of like educate others and help others. And um, I think that leads us pretty... Uh, well into our What Would Sister Peg Do segment this week, which is our weekly segment where we direct you towards a resource, a website, an organization, a book, something to give you more context and more information about what we covered in today's episode. And we want to highlight um, a book by Elizabeth Smart called My Story. Um, I believe she has two books, but um, this is, I believe, her first one. And um, this is her memoir, My Story, where she recounts the horrors of what happened to her, but also talks about how she maintained hope throughout it all and devised the plan that would ultimately lead to her rescue in Utah. Um, she also discusses how she's used advocacy to move through what happened to her. And the link to buy the book is in our show notes if you're interested. And next week's episode will be Control, Season 5, Episode 9. And we Ooh. can't wait to see you. Such a good episode. See you guys next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedappod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedappod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixing engineer, Ryo Baum. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. And to Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everyone at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dun-dun!